I just thought he was being funny. Speedy. Why talking uh, shit? Second, or, no, uh, decamp Parker. Oh, try again. This, we call him Lil Spiel. <laughs> Lil Spielberg. All right, so before we officially, officially get into this, I want to give everybody a little backdrop on who we have here, what we have here, what's going on here, and what's been going on. Uh, we got my brother Zach, Zach Sko, the Zach Sko, and I'm not putting 10s on it. He's that guy. We got Brian James, Free Bliss. My brother, two of my brothers right here, and um, a backdrop of, of, of how this came about and where we're at right now. So my brother went out, you know, and did something amazing, did something extremely daring, trusted people that he doesn't know with his dogs. And we know how people love their dogs. I guess he must have sat down one day and said, hey, I'm going to go take some dogs into a prison and give them to some killers. And we're going to see what's going to happen. And that goes to, you know, Faith over fear. Because you have to be fearless to go into that environment. You have to be so a fearless individual and have some type of, some type of blind faith to say, all right, I'm going to trust these dudes to give them a chance, but nobody else wants to give any of us a chance, especially us. You know, they, they looked and they said, give these guys solitary confinement, shoot inmates, kick out yards, dogs. And the major statement was, why would we give the animals animals? It's coming around full circle and you get to see the progress. You get to see, you know, sometimes you have to deal with the heartache. Then you have the pain. Then you have the turmoil. And then you go through the rain again. And then after the rain, you might have another rain spell. And then the sun comes out. So this, this, is, this is you seeing the, the clouds moving and the sun shining through on, on life. You know, brotherhood, friendship, family, you know, taking care of the, the dogs, animals in general, equality over power. So without further ado, we got Mr. Zach's going to house. Let's go, man. Yeah. This is about as full fucking circle as it gets, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. about as like, yeah. I, my brain is having a hard time fucking processing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, f completely. It's a fucking. Yeah, problem. I know, I know. This is the trip, bro. It's what is so your ultimate freedom? You know, what's, what's, what's the ultimate freedom? Bro, Where this at? is fucking bizarre. For me, this moment is is... I, I, it's hard to even put words to it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I know what this moment is, is putting words to a story, but just the ties, the bonds, the emotions, the pain, the struggle that, that tie us together at this table right here, it's, it's deeper than any relationship I've ever experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we, every time I, I, I see Zach, we look at each other like, <laughs> holy, like, you know, we, we've been... Yeah. postcards letters phone calls pictures like yeah. you know um i'm a former life life for inmate so this wasn't supposed to happen yeah. but it was because of this program specifically this positive positive change program that entered into my life at the time that it did um is why i'm here today i can say that with with, with utmost confidence um i called didante my twin yeah, not not only because we look so much alike, but because shut your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> we share. Yeah. Our, our dreams are identical. Our hopes for life are identical. What we want in life are identical. Our your ability to articulate is identical. And that's something that's so important. Yeah. Our values. So that's why, um, you know, I call him my twin. And I mean, we're all sitting in a fucking podcast studio in Pasadena, whatever, Glendale, at having a conversation. Wearing normal clothes, 
I'm wearing jeans, you know, so I don't have to get kicked out for wearing jeans in prison. Yeah, I still got blues, but hammer times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a hot bro. I mean, I have a picture of you. I've had a picture of you next to my bed at Corcoran for years, and I would look at that shit every time before I went to bed, and it always make me like a little bit sad, a little bit nostalgic, um, but a lot of bit motivated. And you're fucking sitting here. Yeah. You know, I just fuck, and you're sitting there, bro. He he knows. It blows me away, man. I I mean, it is like the product of. Uh, this is probably the most full circle moment I've ever had in my life. Like sitting here with you two guys, two people that I spent a lot of time caring about and, and rooting for, and to get to see you guys, to, to see several aspects of like our collective dream coming to fruition and get to see, you know, to get to see you, like your personality come alive outside, you know, <laughs> to get to be the person you need to be right. and to watch people fall in love with you, man. And to watch people get to like, that's the most important thing about this whole studio is like, nothing's going to change unless there's a, we reestablish what your identity is with society, you know? And if, um, society right now, we watch lock up raw, we watch all that shit. So we're all juxtaposed from, from the incarcerated population as uh, those are the, the violent bad people. We might have like a tacit respect for them, but we're not going to bring them into our lives, right? you know? So this is important for you guys to get out there and show people who you are and show people that you're just people, you know, everything that I've, that we all get to see for years, you know, people don't know that they, they almost need to have you guys in this, in this like lower designated classification. So to, to be in a studio like this, where you guys are giving, you know, a voice to everybody here, it's, it's, it's just the best from where it it started in the most treacherous yard in California in Corcoran, the worst prison. Yeah. Walked into the day room, said, Hi, my name is Zach. Yeah. No, he walked <laughs> walked into the day room and the correctional officer said, Can we offer you a seat over here with us? Where they were all standing there and lined up. And he said, Nah, you know, I'm I'm good. I'm gonna go over here with my people. Mm. And he went and shook everybody's hand. And instead of taking a seat, he sat down on the floor and on yeah. the benches with us. He was wearing the moccasins that day. I remember because my yeah, back yeah, yeah. was killing me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my back was, hurt so bad. That was that was but before before any of that, man. I know everybody says, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, but I'm saying thank you. No, I, I mean thank you in a sense of nobody believed in us. Yeah. Nobody believed in the program, anything like that until you came. And like I said, I tell people, I didn't have a visit my entire prison term until Zach walked in the door. That's nuts, man. I hadn't seen my mother since I was keeping I, my entire prison term from 2006 all the way till I got out. I had not seen my mother. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Or family. So, you know, you came in and you just embraced. Let's, let's paint the picture. So at the time, I think we'd had a pro, we'd had a program going for for a year and a half at Cal City, Brian, North Kern, don't you, Wasco. Stop that. You don't start, don't start the waterworks so, now, goddammit. You save it. Yeah, okay. Suck it up. I think we just need to get it out now. We yeah. should probably hold hands and cry for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had, we had been in a few spots for like a year, year and a half, and we we were pushing. We kept pushing a bunch of different people to bring in the program. We kept reaching out, and we got a call from uh, – and Corcoran's one of the only prisons that people know about. Because it's notorious. Charles Manson, yeah, Sirhan, exactly. Sirhan, all, all the people have been at Corcoran. So if you know, if there's one prison name that resonates with culturally, it's Corcoran, you know? And uh, they asked us to come there. And I remember we had a tour. We had like a visitation 
And they don't come right out and say it. They don't say, hey, are you sure you're cool with, uh, you know, it's a dangerous ass place. Are you, you know, I don't even think we knew the full breakdown of like a 180 yard compared to a, you know, a 270 or a level three to a level four. We just knew we wanted to be in as many prisons as possible, making the biggest difference we could. But um, walking into that place was a bit, I mean, first of all, it's a long ass drive. It's three hours to get right. there. So you're just sitting in the car, getting amped up. And I remember driving up there being like, so excited to get in and see you guys, but not really knowing what to expect. And uh, I remember that. I remember being so fucking nervous. And I'm like, I can't, if I just go stand over here, I'm not going to, I got to go, I got to go touch them and feel them and like go, you know, offer myself up. You know, I can't just, I'm not going to stand over here while they stand over there, you know? Right. But um, I remember even the way they had you guys set up was different. We Everything we did there was a little bit different because of security, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, there never been a level four dog program, much less a level four 180 dog program, you know, and uh, and like you said, everyone's coming from, you know, it's a it's a ad set kick out yard. It's a people have been in the shoe for years. Everybody's kind of obviously, you know, politicking pretty hard. And um, yeah, you feel it in there. You walk in that spot and you feel the air yeah. is different. Yeah. The air, you feel 100%. it in the air. It's like, yeah. it's thick. The air is thick. It's uh -huh. the, the must, the dirt is like, you just like, damn. You feel it in your yeah. chest. Like, did I walk? Yeah. walk Whether in? real or imagined, there's yeah, always yeah. the threat of of some form of violence in right. the air. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you, you really do. It's You almost have to try to breathe through it. But at the same time, if you bring childlike energy into that if you bring like brotherhood into that it thrives like just as much you know what i mean because it's there's just this vacuum where it's just waiting for it like waiting for something positive so that it can be built upon and that's what happened like i remember there was i remember you guys were a little skeptical everyone was kind of a little bit like what the fuck's going on here what is this going to be about but then i remember when you guys got started to get stoked like when 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 we start to come regularly and i remember you guys started to get like you brought your frequency up mm -hmm. you know and both you guys started to get like excited we'd more be up like at four in the morning shaving getting right. ready because yeah, yeah. like the tra it was wednesdays yeah, wednesdays yeah. was our day like class yeah, yeah we lived for yeah. wednesdays before the the program even came in there was a, a, a individual that actually was backing you up an individual that's she's one of the unsung heroes miss um, Bonita Weaver. Yeah, Mrs. Weaver. Yeah, man. Lieutenant Weaver. Force to be ready. <clears throat> People don't understand in a prison system how many forces are preventing positive work. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like how many, and, and even just for a black woman to be within the up, the higher ups of that political, of that bureaucratic structure. Right. And, to ha and and I sat in on a couple meetings with her, and she was, you could tell she was getting it from all angles. Right. But she was, she was steadfast in her convictions and she just kept and if we didn't have bonita weaver supporting us they would have pulled the the plug right way before that because they need you need an advocate just like in prison to run AA meetings any meetings you got to have someone who who's the nucleus in there right. that shows up that makes it happen that's accountable for it and bonita was accountable for us do you know what she did before the the program even came like a little little just a smidget so they had that the yard they had inmates on that yard then our yard, we were the shoe kickout yard. So they basically deemed us. They said, we will never give these guys any programs because based on their shoe kickouts, solitary confinement. Worst of the worst. We didn't have shit. Like, we didn't have anything. You're not getting utensils, yard. much less yeah, we dogs. Didn't, I'm talking about anything. Like, there was, like, you can compare yards. Like, the, the yard that she was on, it was a sensitive knee yard. Mm -hmm. Grass is perfect, pristine. They have workout equipment, as you see. All that. I'm talking about. Where do you have workout equipment in the state of California, CDCR? Yeah. You don't. They had everything. It's immaculate. Yeah. 
Then you look at our yard, grass overflown, laundry, just it looks like a ghost town. Nothing's being upkept. Everything's rusted and all beat up, just water leaking everywhere. So these, the inmates that she had on her yard weren't acting right. She's like, you guys have all the programming, but yet you want to still act up. Okay, I got something for that. I bet you these guys would appreciate it. So she said, let's swap the yards. Give me the ones you guys say are just horrible. She swapped a thousand inmates with a thousand inmates in two days. Damn. Had us go over there I didn't know that. and sent us. Yeah, yeah she swapped an entire yard. Just, and just musical, musical and inmates. Parts. So they went around through yeah. the visiting room wow. gate. And we came around through the shoe yard, Whoa. going through the back gate through R&R. &R, and they were coming through the front R&R. &R. 50 at a time. 50 at a time. Whoa. A thousand inmates in a three-day period. And people's heads must have been spinning. They were like, no, they, she was that black bitch. That's what they, yeah. that black bitch went and did this. Yeah. When the dogs came, that black bitch gave them the dog. They, were mad. they would say it. They would yeah. say it. Yeah, man. She was something else. You know, and, and uh, I always felt, I always tried to give her as many props as I could when I saw her. Because yeah. I always felt like she was taking it, man. She was getting it yes. from. And remember, she used to come on her days off. Yeah. Like, yeah. To, 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 yeah. Like, to check on the dogs and to see the Six dogs. Six in the morning. Yeah. I remember seeing her in the parking lot without her uniform on and giving her a hug. Well, at first, I didn't realize who she was. And then I remember realized it was her. Oh. Oh, my name is Weaver. How are you? Right. Yeah. And she made it to where she was accessible. Yeah. Like, you know, everybody else, they're, they're hiding and they're, they're paying the politics of the job. We're just a check. She was like, all right, I recognize you guys as humans. She's mm. not saying, hey, inmate this, hey, inmate that. Hey, well, this, this, that. She'll show up at your door. Hey, you up? Mm. When the dogs When you came, get people yeah. like that, when you get people like that in, in this, in positions of influence who um, care, it's all the difference in the world. We've worked at a lot of prisons, dealt with a lot of yards, a lot of different pods, a lot of different energies, a lot of different power structures. And when you got someone who who brings a particular, t I mean, she couldn't be soft. You know, she wasn't bringing like this soft, you know, comforting motherly necessarily energy. She couldn't, she was like in the trenches. She Leadership. had to be, she had, she had to be like pretty hard, she but, like, if, if but she was an advocate. Right, yeah. You know? If you're right and you got your stuff together, yeah. I'm going to give you what you want. But if you're messing up, I'm going to yeah. give you what you want there and, too. And, and what people don't realize is just that little, that little switch in your conscientiousness and your, in your perception, just to treat people with, um, not just respect, but like believe in them like that. Cause that's what she did. She believed in you guys. Just that little bit of belief. Like if you, if you don't have that, you get what we have now, which right. is a bunch of people who don't believe in themselves and, and, you know, and that's act the, accordingly. That's the discomfort that you described, like that's, that was, that's the root of it was, I know for me and I, and I, I know for him as well, cause we've talked about it. Like we're not accustomed to having people come in and give us like love and respect. Yeah. It was the most uncomfortable feeling in the world <laughs> when you came in. Yeah. When you say like the skepticism, like yeah. why, like why would you come into the pits of hell yeah. and, and, and want to do this for well, it? I'll tell you why, man. I mean, there's no, there's no better feeling in the world. I mean, for me, like as a person in recovery who doesn't get to drink or doesn't get, doesn't want to, doesn't need to, doesn't have to, drink or use drugs anymore. Like I, I was seeking something to fill, fill that up. And like the minute we got to go in and do positive change and like, and, and it's not the fact that I get out of prison. It's not the fact that I get to leave. It's the fact that your own, just you, just yeah. your energy and, and something that came out of your brain and Le Lisa's brain and Leah's brain <clears throat> gets to radic. I mean, you guys would leave differently. We would feel it. We'd walk into that, yeah. into that gym and, and we could feel everyone's energy go up. We can feel your hearts fill up. We can feel your, your hope like they're from zero hope to, to manageable, measurable hope. 
you know, and, and to, to get to just, just me. And I feel shitty about myself in so many different ways. It's always a struggle to try to see the worth in myself, but that's how I hate to say it. And, and maybe it's like a sign of, uh, I don't want to say poor character, but, but, you know, not thinking very highly of myself, but that, that did it for me. Like getting to go in there and just be myself and have it affect you guys so positively. That is all I, I need. It's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, like I remember you saying that consistently, like throughout the program, like you, you don't know what you guys give me. And I'm yeah. like, what? all of us, we yeah, would sit there in the parking lot after class and we would all talk about, man, did you see Brian in there? You see how his fucking leash technique was like yeah, perfect. Man. You see how loose. And, and like, you know, we would just, we would get so fired up, like so happy, so excited. And there's, there's no, there's no buzz like the post positive change buzz after leaving all you guys seeing and feeling your progress. I mean, there's something about, plus you guys are just, you guys, there's no difference between me and you. There's zero, there's zero difference. And I think a big part of maybe some of it was like, um, you know, feeling maybe a little bit, uh, self-conscious that, that, that I didn't, experience things like that. I've done a lot of bad things in my life and I didn't get caught up like that. And, you know, just feeling like, um, I, I got off easy, you know, in many ways. So wanting to, to give back to people who are just like me, who didn't get off very easily. Cause there's, I mean, I'm just a drug addict, alcoholic who happened to kind of stumble into this. I'm lucky. I'm extremely lucky. And, um, I, I don't know. It's kind of, it, it's, it's my purpose in life to try to provide something like that for you guys. Can we, can we, let's, can we start there? You want to start there? I want to, I want, Um, yeah, that's how how did you get in, into the dog program? Like the thought given birth in your mind, where were you at? So the dog program in particular. So Marley's, yeah, we can back up to before that, before that, what was your first experience with dog? Yeah. That made you say, this is my calling. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I've always had a busy mind. I've always had a brain that didn't uh, feel so highly of myself. I always felt I was different. I always felt I was really different. Um, Maybe, like, the thoughts in my mind were different. The negative thoughts in my mind were different. And we had a dog that we got that I found when I was, like, eight named Speck. I found him walking home from school. And uh, I took that dog everywhere with me. Always had, you know, off-leash with my skateboard and like whenever I go to my dad's house, tennis racket, skateboard, and that dog. And we just ride around to different parks, you know, messing around. And, and that relationship with that dog, that was when I felt like, um, myself, like most I felt, um, my highest sense of identity was after spending, like I spent, remember spending a whole summer with that dog essentially. And that solidified my bond with dogs. And then we just had them in, in our lives ever since. But, um, obviously then I, you know, then, the circumstances around Marley's mutts happened, which was, you know, let me see, let me back up. I started working in animal welfare in 2002. Mm-hmm. And it was because I had a reunion, a school reunion coming up and I was a piece of shit. And I had nothing to show for my life. And I had like, my best friend was a, uh, you know, my brother had two master's degrees. All my other best friends were accomplished, had all these things. And what am I doing? Living a surfer life. No, no, I wasn't even doing that. I didn't even surf when I was addicted. I was like just a professional piece of shit, you know? So I'm like, what am I going to say at this reunion? I'm like, oh, and I loved animals. So I'm like, well, I'm going to start working with the Humane Society. I'll just, I'll tell people I work for the Humane Society. Voila. So what started off as a flex. Oh, it was a straight, like (laughs) complete egomaniac flex to try to fill (laughs) 
you know, to try to be able to tell people I was doing something productive when I was just really a dedicated piece of shit. So I started working with the Humane Society and, and a couple other local organizations. And, uh, and I was just, I was good at it and I loved it. And this was just basic rehabilitation. I go on like, um, go to the shelter with them. We, we'd go to different, uh, stray calls. We would do different, like, fostering stuff. So it was just light fostering one dog, maybe two dogs going to events, doing things like that, you know? And then, uh, then I got sick, um, a couple of years later and, you know, went into, went into acute alcoholic liver failure, you know? Mm. And, um, I mean, if you guys want me to, I can kind of go into the whole story, but please do. Yeah. So, Oh fuck! Let me give a somewhat of an abbreviated version. So I um, I went into liver. So in May or March, April, May, two thousand and eight, I had been turning yellow. I had started to turn yellow. My stomach started to get real big. Um, I started to have problems with my brain, like not understanding what was happening to me. Uh, I went to the. They didn't tell anybody, and I went to the doctor, and the nurse came out. The next day, I had to go back back in for my results the next day. And she she comes out and sits next to me. And she, like, grabs my hand. And she's like, honey, um, you know, you're in liver failure. And that's what these numbers mean. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. I just got hammered last night. Like, that's all it was. The numbers are just showing Mm -hmm. that I got. She's like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. Like, these numbers mean your liver doesn't work. And your kidneys are failing. And we got all these issues. And, um... And she's like, you need to go to a hospital immediately. Like, you, you know, you're in, you're very ill. And I was like, okay. You know, and I just lied. I just couldn't tell anybody that I knew that meant no alcohol, no drugs. I knew that meant my life was over. I knew that, uh, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't cope with, with, I couldn't fight that. Like, what am I going to do? I was weak, I was mentally weak, spiritually weak. You know, I was completely, I was physically, I'd been physically addicted to alcohol for 10 years prior to that. So, I mean, I couldn't go sick. I couldn't go three hours without drinking, you know? So I just lied. I just went home and, you know, I just lied about it and said, no, I'm fine. Oh, and I told them, uh, they, re- <laughs> they recommended wine and, and no hard alcohol. You know, that's what I told my dad. I'm like, yeah, they just said me to drink wine and, and so uh, just you, you full just, of shit. Completely lied. Day one, just in denial. Just lied. Yeah. I mean, and, and I just, just wrote it until the wheels fell off. I wrote it for like a couple more months. And by this point, like I'm going, I'm having these bouts of, um, of ammonia buildup on my brain where you kind of like lose it. You, you know, you can't tie your shoe. You don't know what day it is. Like you, and I'm, I'm also like my belly button herniated. So I'm fucking taping my belly button to my stomach because it's sticking out of this big ass pregnant belly and this thing's sticking out of my looking like a little boner mm. and uh so i'm t- i'm every morning taping this fucking my herniated stomach this zach still with a sense of humor yeah. in the wow. darkest moment but like rather than tell anyone that this yeah. is what's really going on i'm just wearing shades long sleeve shirts so you can't tell i'm yellow and then finally man i was just leaking blood you know out of my mouth out of my butt and by that point, like, there's no hiding it. You know, you're really sick. And I told my dad, I was like, hey, man, this is what's going on. And he he kind of didn't believe it, but then he started going with me to this uh, this appointment, and then the reality hit, and then they checked me into the hospital. And I, I don't remember. I went through alcohol withdrawal immediately. I don't remember, like, five or six days. The first five or six days I was in the hospital, I have no recollection. So I was going into 
kidney failure, full on liver failure. So they checked me into the hospital into Bakersfield Memorial immediately for long-term care. Um, they run a bunch of tests, hooked me up to frozen. I'm so I'm getting frozen blood to try to lower my, what happens when your liver failures, your blood is so thin that you, you won't clot. You have, you have all these problems because your blood is just crazy thin. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then the, the doctor came in and he was sitting right next to my bed and talking to my dad and he just said, look, your son needs a liver transplant and he's not going to get one, you know? So the reality is, you know, he's very, very sick. The only thing that's going to save him is a liver transplant and he's, he's an alcoholic. Therefore he's not going to get one. He needs six months of sobriety to even qualify and he's not going to survive six months. So they gave me less than 90 days to live. They basically said, get your affairs in order. You know, we'll try to keep you comfortable. Um, at that time too, it was, the pain management scale. <laughs> you ever been to a hospital at the time? One to 10. Yeah. It, it was a smiley face scale. Yeah. Yeah. And and back then I was vacillating between like coherent and not making any sense at all. And, and I was a drug addict. So, you know, you point at the, they have the smiley face, the straight face, the frowny face, and then the fucking teary. I'm pointing at the teary face every time. Give it to me, you know? Right. So I got addicted. I, as soon as I woke up and came like out of yeah. alcohol withdrawal, which I should have been proud of. Like I hadn't been, that had been more than a decade that I hadn't been like gripped by that monster. You know, were you acknowledging at that point that you were an addict or? Were you oh yeah. 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 Still in denial? I knew, no, I knew, I knew from the time I was 18 that I was an alcoholic okay. and a drug addict. Mm -hmm. I knew it. And I was proud of it. Remember the alcoholics, yeah. the group, like I was proud. Oh, I thought you said remember being like being no, no, the rappers. Like, I was like, I was one of those alcoholics in NAAA with a bottle of drinks. So yeah, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, the alcoholics. Yeah. I always drank it. The licks. Yeah, I mean, I I was I was proud of it, and I, and I identified that way, and I think probably it helped me continue on my, you know, that that path. But uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, you know, uh, I needed a liver transplant to survive. I wasn't going to get one. Um, I spent six weeks at that hospital, almost six weeks there, just getting sicker and sicker. And, you know, every three hours I'm getting dope. And by that time they got a lady assigned to me because I was combative with all the staff and I'm, you know, I'm in a, in a wheelchair wheeling up to nurses trying to get them to dope me up. Mm. And I was a fucking, I was a raging Lieutenant Dan. Bro, I was, yeah, Lieutenant I was Dan. not. And then they, they, they give you this person. They don't tell you like, oh, we're assigning this human being to you because you're a danger to yourself and others. And uh, luckily I got to go back and like apologize to her two years later because I was ruthless to her. Mm. Ruthless. I mean, they got to, she's got to go with you to the bathroom, to the shower, to all that stuff. Um, but yeah, long story short, you know, I needed a liver transplant. They didn't do liver transplants at the hospital. They didn't do liver transplants for anyone unless you're six months sober. And unless you meet a bunch of criteria, you do not get, you're not eligible. So I had to get into a transplant hospital and there was no way to do that. So my dad, the big story in all this that I, that I would love to, uh, make you guys cry over. No, don't make me cry is, is like the love, the, the, the big unlike underlying theme to all this is the love of a, of a father to his son is my dad just could, his brain wouldn't comprehend, wouldn't, wouldn't accept that his son was going to die of liver failure. He just wouldn't do it. So he's just, he, and he's an engineer too. So he's an aeronautical engineer. He just sets his mind to figuring out this equation, this complicated equation with all these factors. So he's just on the phone every day. He's staying with me every day at the hospital. You know, my mom came out and visited once from St. Louis. My brother came up a couple of times. Some of my friends came up, but for the most part, it was just me and my dad. And he was not going to, this was not how I was going to die, just period. And, 
after uh, they tried to kick me out and send me home on hospice, you know, the 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 insurance company was basically saying, you know, we so can't they, keep they him. They already here. signed off on you, like he's, just, he's, yeah, he's this cooked. is too expensive. He's we're not gonna. He's not gonna get better, you know. So he's only gonna get worse. And he, you know, he should just be home with his family and his dogs, and and that should be where we can provide him then like a home palliative care kind of a thing. Um, but my dad wouldn't, wouldn't say no. And, and what ended up happening was we got a, a meeting with the comprehensive transplant program at Cedars, which is where I was born. So I was born at Cedars Sinai. I have a twin brother. You know, we were a couple months premature. We actually spent several months there after we were born. So all of a sudden we got this meeting at Cedars Sinai. So my dad's like, pull all the shit out of him. We're leaving. And they're like, no, no, you're not leaving. You can't, you can't fucking leave here. Like we highly advise against you leaving. And my dad's like, we're leaving, you know, so pull all the shit out of his arms. We're leaving. And they brought a bunch of dots. And I remember they like followed us to the front where my dad's and I'm signing all this shit, like just scribbling on stacks of paper so that we can get out of the hospital. And we just boned out as fast as we could. I thought my mom was going to kill me driving to Cedars from Bakersfield. And we got there and had a meeting with the comprehensive transplant program is I remember it was three badass female doctors led by Dr. Tram Tran. And she, uh, she kind of sat me down and said, look, like this is really close. Like, um, we, it, we normally would admit you, we would bring you into the hospital, but if we take you in, you're going to die here. And so we're going to send you home. We're going to admit you to the program. You are now a comprehensive transplant patient, but you can't stay here. Uh, we're going to send you home, stay near an emergency room cause you're going to need it. And, and my dad's like, pardon me, what you're sending this fool home with me and the dogs? Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to tip? What am I supposed to do with a, a 28, 29? Now I turned 29 in the hospital, the 29 year old drug addict, alcoholic and liver failure. What am I supposed to do with that? And they just said, look, stay near an emergency room. Try to ride it out. If you can survive six months, he'll get his transplant. And, uh, so we fucking went home and we went home and, and, uh, I started to go into withdrawal. So I, and my dad didn't know the game. Like he didn't know how to protect me from myself. So, and I was in so much pain. I looked so sick. I, you know, I got, I might've got like five or six emergency room trips out of him. And then he was on to me <laughs> and then he's just like, all right, you're riding it out. So then I had to ride it out and go through a couple days of opiate withdrawal. By that point, I'd been on fucking Dilaudid for, you know, two months. And, yeah, that, uh, that Dilaudid almost got me in the Man. ICU. Six days in the ICU off Dilaudid on that seventh day. I said, I see why people are addicted to this. It gets you yeah. so quick, man. Turns your spine to jelly. All the pain goes yeah. away. All of it. Everything goes, goes yeah. immediately straight yeah. to the vein. It's, it's done. I had no coping skills. Right. Man, so that was a wonderfully convenient yeah. coping skill. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So <clears throat> I just remember, man, sitting, I had Marley, my big Rottweiler pit bull underneath my right arm. And I was, who, by the way, was center of myself, yeah, yeah. sent me the picture yeah, yeah, yeah. I, for years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> said, I love you, brother, Zach Scott. Yeah. yeah I love it. For years I love on the wall. I didn't know it was on your wall. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So that was my big boy. And man, I was seeing, you know, demons on fire in the ceiling and blood pouring down the wall. screams. I was just hearing screams. You know, it was a terrible experience. I don't know if it was worse because I was so, but my, I was so fragile. I was so, fr I was so sick. I was 140 pounds. You know, I was like skinny. When you lay in a bed, your muscles atrophy. So my muscles had atrophy. I had a hard time walking. I was leaking blood out my butt. 
there's all these problems, you know, and, and, and Marley, man, every time I'd start to like go into this really dark, scary, you know, I would just feel that boy and I can feel his like chest breathing. I go, Oh, thank fucking God. Like you're here. Like just rooting me, you know? And, uh, we got through that shit. It was really challenging. You know, my dad would kind of check in on me. He cleaned the bed cause I was losing my bowels. He'd clean the bed for me or pull the sheets off and shit. And, um, and it was just kind of a waiting game. It was just him trying to be kind of trying to stay out of my way. Cause I was not fun to be around, you know, right. but he was trying to help. And we were just trying to survive. Just like, just trying to get there. And I couldn't really walk, you know, so he had to do everything for me, you know? Um, and we just, we just didn't know what was going to happen, but getting through that withdrawal was really important. And that kind of a uh, couple days later, you know, I had a, a real revelatory experience. The one that you guys were kind of referencing, which was just, Coming to one day, really wanting to kill myself. Like at that point, you, you know, I didn't have control over anything. I couldn't do anything. I, did, I was terrible at everything. I'd obviously obliterated all my relationships. I didn't have control over physically what was happening to me. I didn't seem to have control over mentally what was all these dark thoughts. So the only thing I did have control of was like take my life. So I can control the circumstances of how I die. Mm -hmm. So I just kept obsessing about taking Tug out on this hike and like writing some shit and then just... Like at first I was trying to find a way to kill both of us. And then I'm like, why would I, why would I take tug with me? Like, what the fuck is that? You know? So I was just gonna, and I had all these different thoughts that I, and, that I would obsess about. I think when you're, when you're really struggling mental health wise and you don't know where to put your thoughts, you end up putting all of your thoughts into your suicide story, like into what you want to do to, to get out. And, um, so that was all that I thought about. And, and, it finally broke. You know, I was like looking in the mirror and I had this, I mean, looking at yourself, bro, when you're that fucked up, like, I don't know if you ever got that spun out where you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, Oh my God, who is that person? Like, I didn't recognize anything yeah, about it. I wouldn't look I all wouldn't look. sunken in and my skin was all green and yellow and I had bruises everywhere. And bro, my stomach, when you're, it's called ascites, when your liver and your kidneys don't work, you know, your blood, your hepatic duct is pushing all this blood and bile through your system. And when your liver doesn't work, it just backs up. It's supposed to filter through your liver. When it doesn't, it just ends up in your stomach. Is that the same thing as uh, being septic? Yeah. So what will happen is your ascites, it's just liquid. It's blood and bile that pools in your abdominal cavity. And when it goes septic, you die. Yeah. Oh. So there's all these ways they tell you you're going to die. When you're in liver, you die from septic ascites. So that, that mass of stuff gets infected so what they do is they drain you so i would get drained every three days with it's called paracentesis they stick a big ass for some people who are big they stick a needle in your stomach through the front and then pull it out for me they had a catheter below my my rib cage so they just cut a hole in me and stuck a tube in there and just you could hear the vacuum and it just sucked all this and they would put the vials in front of me liters of this shit just liters of stuff that they pull out of your body. And I'll never forget the doctor plot. Like he put three of them as he's emptying them, like putting them in front of me. Like, this is all the shit I pulled out of your body. Like, this is what you've done to yourself, you know? And uh, so there's all, and then the worst way to die is esophageal varices. So because your body isn't processing all this stuff and you have portal hypertension, you have high blood pressure, you got high blood pressure everywhere. So your, your veins become like varicose. And so, the the blood that's trying to get through your liver will literally find a way around and it will varicose the veins in your esophagus so your esophagus will get these thick veins that want to burst and and 
they can get agitated too from coughing and stuff like that. So you, and I've seen this with a sponsee who died bleeding out orally and you just start it, they will rupture and then you bleed out orally because your, your body, because your blood is so thin, they won't, it won't clot. The only way they can prevent it is they take a cautering, a soldering iron and they literally burn the veins closed and the arteries closed in your throat. And I'm watching like my friend who passed away from this, his name was Sonny and watching him literally like arterially bleeding out of his mouth. He's just having like spurts of blood coming out of his mouth. And then they bring in a crash cart and they burn his veins shut in his throat. And then he kind of like comes back and then he's talking to me afterwards with all this blood all over, like it had crested up on his lips, all on both sides of his mouth. He ended up dying from that a couple of days later. Oh. But it's that's how you die. That's how that's where alcohol brings you when you die. You know, and that's the like as you're speaking, like that's the irony of addiction. Um, I, I I have the same like terrible like withdrawal stories. Uh, abscesses you know you know multiple like situations is you begin using you begin drinking like running from pain unwilling to accept pain Mm -hmm. and at the end you're just in so much pain so much like an undescribable amount of all of it self-loathing built-up trauma all of it all the internal pain is there and at the end you're you're sitting here with the physical pain on top of it yeah exactly man so um i mean that that whole process uh so that day you know, I'm, I'm having the worst feel sorry for myself moment ever where it, like all I could think about was just, and I knew I'd always, my dad would leave and I'd go upstairs and get his gun and I'd just sit there with it like in my hand and kind of like feel it and, you know, and, um, and I was like, I'm going to, this is, it's happening today. You know, and I fucking look over at my dogs and they're all sitting by the toilet. Cause I'd spent so much time at the toilet. They knew like where to line up and they're all just kicking it. Like everything is beautiful. Like they're just happy to have me home. I've been gone at the hospital for a while. Thank God you're fucking back dad. You know, just wiggling, looking up at me like the sky's the limit. We can do anything <laughs> in this world and you're fucking beautiful and you're <laughs> smart and, and intelligent and, and kind and, and, uh, and it, I, you know, uh, I hadn't seen myself or that version of me, like that person that I loved or that they loved. I didn't see that in me. I saw this piece of shit that deserved to be broken down into a million pieces. You know, I, I just saw a worthless human being and they saw everything. They saw their whole, they're looking back at me like you are our whole fucking world. And you're just, and, uh, it's impossible to, to look at that and not gather some self-worth and go, oh, all right, well, Maybe these turds know what they're talking about, you know, (laughs) and uh, they just, they they blind you with that. Not only acceptance, but that their need for you, like they, the sun rises and set there's their sun rises and sets with you. And, and, and the idea of like taking that away from them didn't seem fair. And, uh, and so I just kind of made this, this commitment like all right let's let's give this a fucking shot let's let's just see what it's about and that i just journaled that morning it was like 3 a.m when i got up to i'd gone to the bathroom in bed and i had to clean it up and um so it didn't go back to bed and we just journaled and i watched the sunrise and i took a picture of it i still have the picture and uh and just said all right like we're gonna try to walk today just try to put one foot in front of the other and take the dogs for a walk and see what happens and then and we did that like several times a day every day for months that was is this marley you're marley tug and buddy yeah so tug and marley were from the mojave shelter buddy was from buddy is still alive he's 20 
Wow. My little Cocker Spaniel. He's 20 years old. Mate, yeah. 20 years old. Yeah. 20 years old, man. And there's those three. So I would take those three out. Marley was the only one that needed a leash because I couldn't walk. And actually back then I couldn't walk any of them on a leash. I had to have them off leash because if I was so fragile, they would, I would <laughs> get my ass kicked. If he pulled, I would fall over. And they call him Tug, so I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he did a little bit, but I, but the main thing was, uh, you know, you don't have your balance. You know, I didn't have any equilibrium back you know i was your your body's so fragile when you're in liver failure there's so many things that go wrong with you and so you know that day i was like all right we're gonna try this for the next however many months we're gonna try to just live and try to put one foot in literally one foot in front of the other and see where it takes us and uh and it really gave it up to god like i didn't know that at the time you know but i was giving it up to them i was giving it up to a power greater than myself a power other than myself and i, I didn't have the i was still like relentlessly atheistic back then, which probably shows like, look where I ended up. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, they, I mean, they really kind of put me on that spiritual path. And then just also being out in the mountains, like you're, you know, um, oh, this is a trip. One of the first, so I couldn't get very far. It was really hard for me to walk. You know, it was really, and I had all these blisters on my feet. There was a, so many medicines that I was on. That was another big thing that Cedars did was they took me off all my medicine. They said, you're, you're not 29 taking- 29 right now, right? I was 29 at the time, yeah. They said, you're, no more medicine. You're t we're taking you off everything except the stuff that you absolutely need to keep you alive. So um, a lot of like this stuff drained out of my body through my feet. And I had blisters from the knees down all over my feet. So it was really challenging to walk. But um, it was like a month in, right around like, November and I'm going for a while. It was bright and early in the morning, really early. So the sun was rising on our normal walk. And I see this shadowy figure. I was like, Oh fuck. That's a bear. Like, oh God. You know, I'm, Marley's going to run after him. I'm not, I can't even hold the leash. Like we're fucked. This is not going to work. <laughs> and, um, cause they all queued up, you know, they all just, and it turns out it was not a bear. It was this old man in a parka, it was, it was really cold and I'm bundled up too. When you're in liver failure, you get really, um, you're really sensitive to, to warm and cold. And so we approached this guy and he's this little like 80 something year old man. And his name was when his name was Wendell, but everyone called him when, and he didn't say anything about what I looked like. He didn't say, boy, you look like shit, man. What's wrong with you? He just asked questions about the dogs. He just wanted to know like, who's this one? Who's that one? And so, and we started walking and at this point, I'm, I'm also still feeling like I might have been putting in an effort, but I still felt as sorry for myself as humanly possible. Like I, I was a, the, the way I could get something from you was sympathy. And that was how I was the whole last part of my addiction, alcoholism and addiction was if I could make you feel adequately sorry for me, you would help me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I took that same approach to this guy, which was like this groveling body posture and like fucking just feel sorry for me person I'm just meeting so you can somehow help me. And he never said anything about, didn't ask me any questions about me. And I started asking him like, what the fuck are you doing? At six o'clock in the morning, we're in the wild and you're just by yourself, you know? Cause it's, it's honestly not that safe to be out there necessarily, especially that early. And he was like, uh, well, you know, for the last three years, I've been taking care of my wife who got a terminal cancer diagnosis and she, uh, she finally died three days ago. And we used to do this walk every day for 20 years. And this is the first time I'm doing it by myself. You know, I'm like, holy shit, you know? Like, I'm sitting here feeling as sorry for my fucking self as possible. This dude just lost the thing that matters most to him in this world. And, and he's fucking shoulders back, chin up, 
taking the walk anyway. He wasn't crying. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He was about it. You know? Right. I'm like, oh, God, I guess I got to take a pay. I was like, will you walk with me? You know, so we started doing that walk together um, quite often. You know, uh, he didn't know how to use a fucking cell phone. So it's not like I could just text him and be like, meet me on the path, you know? But uh, so we did that walk all the time. And, and he really like gave me that first bit of, of eminent wisdom to not walk around feeling sorry for myself and to, to really like um, chart your path, get out of your mind and move forward, you know? And he, dude, he ended up, uh, he ended up selling his house, buying an RV and selling vitamins at old people homes for a living, found this smoking hot, like 25 years younger. She was like 60, <laughs> you know, and married her. And then he died like three years later. You know, but like, what a baller, what a fulfilled life. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And because he didn't take a second to feel sorry for himself, Go out with a bang. he just, yeah, he just was on, you know? And, um, yeah, that was one of those, those people that I was really grateful to meet early Today, on. How do you feel about yourself? Oh man. I'll tell you what, when I'm by myself, uh, at my home thinking about all the, like all the bullshit that's moving around. I, I sometimes go back there. I go back to that place of of feeling sorry for myself, feeling less than. But when I'm with you guys and when I'm thinking about what we're doing and when I'm thinking about the bigger picture, I feel like a completely different human being. You know what I mean? Before we, we move on, because I wanted to share this with you. I want to share this, this letter. So I have so many. I, I have like <laughs> tens of thousands of prison letter page and they're my prized possession this is these are the kids homework yeah so you know the questions part of the curriculum and all that and this is if people don't know los angeles county probation paired up with positive change mark yeah. was the first ever ever in history to have a program like yeah. this we're running a dog program that you guys teach that you you know each one teach one model. You're back in inside helping out yeah. the young bucks and charting a course for everybody. So the author of this letter is what age? Um, let's just, let's reflect on that for a minute. How fucking yeah, cool no. is it that we get to open up new prison programs that you guys teach? You know, I mean, I know it's new. I know it's our first round, and we're graduating next Wednesday, right? Uh, it should be probably the following. They want to do it okay. in May. Gotcha. So. But still, I mean, the fact that, and that's the whole model is that, you know, we go and we teach these classes, you guys learn a marketable skill that we desperately need on the outside. And then you go back inside and give it away. And that model, like we are primed and ready to right. take this to the next level everywhere for, and we'll get, I'm sure get into the, get into that later, but it's, it, it, when I get to tell people, when I get to explain what it is that we do and that my boy gets to go into Camp Kilpatrick and educate, teach, and inspire young incarcerated men to deviate them from their current path of, of self-destruction and get them on the path of self-love, self-actualization, and reaching their potential. Like, there's nothing more power than that, powerful than that. I just got done, you know, being out of town. I told everybody about it. And people are just like, you do what? You what? What? And I'm showing pictures of you two guys. I'm talking about the twins. And, da, 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 and they're just going, this is... This is incredible. I mean, it's so inspiring to people because that's this the healing of the nation. This is the healing of the nation. Is right. this type of model, you know, where 
where um, you guys go back in and give it away, you know, and um, it's just fucking the best. So this, I appreciate it. You, you don't know how much, because when you talked about your suicide attempt or you, the, the plotting of mm -hmm. it, I did more than plot it. So at about 15, 16, the same juvenile hall that I'm going in to teach was at cell 121, 2005, 2006. I hung myself in that cell. And it's not all the big, oh, everybody's, oh, you know, it's, it's the light. Don't go Good thing you light. didn't have a dog yeah. leash in there. You would have succeeded. Man. <laughs> no, I, I, took, I took, made the noose, put it through the vent, and I'm not, I'm, I didn't care about myself. Didn't care. I didn't care about my life. I didn't care about anything. I'm going to prison. I don't give a damn. It's, it's, yeah. it's just I didn't care at all. I didn't value my life yeah. at all. And uh, it's amazing. You know, some people, they, they run away from it. You know, I'm, I'm big on I want all the smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went in there and I hung myself. They cut me down, sent me to uh, to the medical unit, and I was like, you know, still didn't care. I was like, you know, it wasn't. It's all big. What everybody says. It's not no smoking mirrors. No, it's a lot of pressure. Shit gets real quiet, and it's just you until the light fades. Until until everything gets real low and it's over. It's not a big charade. The funeral is the big charade. Yeah. But when it's you in that moment, no, nah, it's 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 just you, and you you swaying back and forth. Ain't no mama coming. The, 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 the hearing starts to go away. Yeah. It gets real quiet. And I messed up and traumatized myself because he's sitting there watching me hang. And I'm looking at him and I'm just, you know, you try to pull up. Yeah, yeah. You can't pull up because you don't have the strength to hold up your body weight because yeah. you're losing oxygen. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there. And the lady that I hated the most was the one that cut me down. So to be able to go back inside that very place yeah, where I was man. locked up at. Yeah. The kids don't even know. With it. some value. Go back right. in there with some value. To save life. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, with some value. That's what people don't understand, man. That's what people don't get about the incarcerated population is you guys have so much value. So much potential, bro. I mean, from the moment I met you, I was like, this guy's for fucking real, man. Can you imagine what he'd be like on the outside? You know, my brain was just spinning with like applications, you know, because you were like a... I just very much related. You, there was a lot of things right off the bat that I, I really wanted to emulate, especially how you made eye contact. There was a way you communicated in a way, almost like a confidence that you seemed to have in yourself that I, I always had to fake. I mean, I tried to bring it, but I always faked it. And um, I think the most beautiful thing that we get to do is, is expose to the world the true amount of potential that lives behind bars. And then when you really unpack it and you really get to look at you guys and think about all that you've been through, the amount of time, I mean, you defending your, you know, yourself to the parole board, all that you go through to dive fucking head first, heart first into yourself and unpack all your shit, all the things you've done, all the people you've hurt, the drugs you've done, the addictions you face, like <clears throat> all of it, you know, you've had to, to, to go in there over and over and over and to, to be able to get through a long terms like you guys did in, in, in a, like enveloped in darkness Imagine what kind of fortitude that takes. And, and we live in a world where everyone's suffering and people don't know how to get through tough times. And you guys are professionals, professionals at getting through it. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that the coolest thing that we get to do is expose how important you guys are to our society, how important to just 
from like a spiritual standpoint, this is Christ-like. This is what it is. We've lost sight of what it is to be there for other people, people who are downtrodden, people who aren't believed in, people who may have really shitty circumstances. We, we, we're holding on to this weird idea that like we have to look down on a lower caste um, people in society. Like we have to juxtapose ourselves from the incarcerated. We have to always have them near us um, as less than so that we can feel better about ourselves. Instead of going, oh, these are just... Uh, children of God who have had r fucking unimaginably difficult lives and uh, they want to continue to hold you down. They want to continue to like oppress you in the process. And you know, like the incarcerated population is the only segment of society that you can openly discriminate against today without totally. any consequence. Totally. I mean, not only openly, but it's, it's the norm. If you, if you do the opposite, you're kind of like, Oh, I mean, I mean, I've probably have, 500 personal Instagram messages that are like, why the fuck do you work with, you know, prisoners with inmates, people that have hurt other people. They're like, why don't you work with kids? I'm like, we do <laughs> kids that have hurt people. No. <laughs> and you said it the other day, you, you, you said it perfect when you were referencing me and Dante, like, uh, we're not, I'm not asking for pity. We're not asking yeah. for pity. We're not asking for anything. Let us just show you, mm -hmm. like, let us just show you what like real change looks mm -hmm. like. And we've talked about it and, and we, we feel such like a, not a moral obligation, a duty. Cause you know, when you talk about women's suffrage, uh, you needed women to stand up. You know, when you're mm -hmm. talking about the civil rights at the time, you need African-Americans to stand mm -hmm. up. Well, we're in a prison reform movement. So we are the changed men standing up mm -hmm. saying like, this is what we went through. This is our story. This is an excuse. It's an explanation. Yeah. Like, this is who we are. I don't want any handout. Mm -hmm. I just want the same opportunity and I'll work double. I'll work harder. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, we've lost sight of that. Somehow along the way, socioculturally, this has been the accepted norm. The norm is that we need to, for whatever reason, align you guys over here as completely separate from everyone else because there, there was a, like a, a victimization that was part of your, of your past. And um, people don't unpack the thought process. They don't, they don't look at it and, and go, oh, does that mean we're just going to you know, you ask them, so would you rather just write this person off for, for the rest of their life and just never, and then you, people go, oh, well, no. Well, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing, you know, is in, in, in not giving anybody an opportunity. I mean, even with the way the, the, the way crime is couched right now, culturally out there in the world is we're letting too many people out of prison. They're committing crimes. We need to get back to mandatory minimums. We need to lock people up for longer. We need to keep people in prison. Their brains don't even pause on we need to provide them programming so they don't go create victims and commit crimes. Until until it's a judge's son or daughter. Right. Until it's right. a politician's son or daughter. 100%. They, oh, you know, we all remember when Schwarzenegger went and got his, his best friend's son out of jail for attempted yeah. murder. Yeah. You know, when he got him right out, he didn't go through the whole process of the court proceedings and none of that. He just, oh, that's my friend. Uh, you're going through something. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, let him out. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, the whole way people think about crime and and the incarcerated is ludicrous it if you actually give a fuck about victims 75 percent of of recidivism in the united states of america is 75 percent. think of any business where what you do like if 75 percent of the podcasts you guys did sucked you wouldn't be a podcast studio you know what i mean so the criminal justice system cdcr bop all the rest of it their success rate is 25 percent. that's a piss poor metric. That's a terrible, 
terrible success rate. And at no point is anyone looking at the process going, hey, while you have these people within your custody for decades as slaves under the 13th Amendment, they are yours to do with what you want. How about you provide them some programming so they don't commit more crimes? That doesn't even enter the equation. It's just let's lock them up for as long as possible. Let's incubate them in negativity. Let's kick them out into the streets and then act shocked that, that they some of them go commit crimes because they don't have opportunity. Mm. At no point in the logical train of ideas is, hey, well, while they're locked up, maybe we should, uh, instead of incubating them in a horrendously negative environment, how about we uh, you know, send some programs in there where we believe in them and maybe some dogs that provide reciprocal love and self-worth and a viable skill that they can use when they get out and a, a marketable skill that will allow them access to the middle class. None of that. It's just let's keep them fighting with each other. Let's make it extra dark, extra dangerous, and then let's shoot them out into society to commit more crime. And there's never any culpability. Why is that? Because somebody's tuition needs to be paid somebody's porsche needs to be bought and a 16 bedroom house at the top of the hill needs to be paid for every month there's a lot of and money it's just in a the long system. stale narrative that's just yeah. been going on for years yeah like, and i think if people viewed you guys as legitimate i mean like we talked about before it's it's time to instead of viewing you guys as liabilities to view you as untapped potential as just as as a huge source of untapped potential. I mean, every single person I know that's had time to interact with both of you guys is like dumbfounded. They go, because you you feel each of them moving past their preconceived notions. Everyone has a preconceived notion of what a formerly incarcerated person is. And you feel them go, oh shit, I was wrong. Fuck. You watch people have these confrontations with themselves and they fall in love with you guys. You know what I mean? That's why I love, like having a conversation and sharing my life. And hey, by the way, I just did 29 years. I just got out. What? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? Are there yeah. more of you? Yeah. How are you able to talk like this? Like, yeah. am I supposed to be mutated, walk with a limp and have a yeah. cock eye or something? I'm yeah. just trying to understand <laughs> what the hell's going on, yeah. you know? Yeah. But that's, that's the thing is you guys are, uh, you know, they don't, they don't view you as, as something or somebody that is supposed to be evolved or successful or, or any of these things. And, and the, the truth of it is like, Again, you are just like any of us with, with enormous potential to, to achieve any number of, of incredible dreams and, and also bring, you know, value to this world. And there, you know, look at all the, the most influential people throughout our, throughout our history, throughout our time. Those who have made the biggest impact were downtrodden, were, were uh, misunderstood, were, were juxtaposed from normal society. And that's you guys, man. And um, I, I think that by you guys, you know, with Strange Fruit getting out there and putting a voice to yourselves, we're not going to change anything in, in, until people fall in love with you guys, until society has this grand realization that, oh my God, we fucked up. I can't believe we've just been kind of lumping all these individuals together as just prisoners who are who almost serve to scare us, to entertain us on weird shows on TV, and to kind of like always be less than, right. you know? To, to reintroduce you guys to society as, as, um, as givers and contributors and all the things that you really are. Because, it, I don't know, it's really beautiful to watch people um, change their their own perception of who you are and like grant themselves permission to fall in love with you guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, we live in a in a Republican county that has a hard time with 
crime and and like embracing the incarcerated and i've had a lot of people message me with uh, some of them like paragraphs paragraphs you know you know i just want you to know that i come from a republican family and i you know i voted for trump and and i've had a really uh, interesting uh, you know for as long as i can remember i've had the following opinions on the incarcerated and 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 i just i've been watching your program and i just I, you know they're like having this out of body experience where they're opening up lovingly to you guys where they realize that they fucked up with how they prejudged you guys and how they prejudged the process and they're opening up into love for you guys and about the program and it's almost like people sharing at a meeting where they're like i just want to you know admit to you that uh, i used to really think uh, the incarcerated were pieces of shit and, uh, <laughs> and now I, yeah. now i think i love right. your program and i think i love them and you know? in like being like completely honest there are people that belong in prison oh right? yeah you know, there's people that belong there. Yeah, you you got, know, you we're got, not sitting here saying like swing the doors open. Like yeah, you still we, got you still got some boogeyman. Yeah, yeah, you still got some boogeyman in there. Yeah, yeah you still got you still got some of the, some of them people. You're like oh shit, you got to watch him. Everything's yeah. a spectrum, right? You know, in, in order to wind anything back, you need that much more energy put into that person. And right. some people would, you know, some people don't have the willingness for sure. And and some people, you know, there's just never going to be enough time to wind back all the trauma and wind back all the negativity and wind back all the, you know. Um, yeah. I'm give you guys a bar this. Yeah, let's you, go. You're a bar this. So this this is this from your little brother? Who's this from? This this for this from a couple. There's two of them. Two of the kids in there. And um, it's one of the uh, probation doctor Rafael Ventura. He was he was letting you know about the kid that was the most shut down. Shout out there, to Doctor Ventura, who's now this this young man is the lead trainer, lead trainer, and um. Being able to be in the program and be now an employee there, I take it. I know I go above and beyond. If I'm gonna be in something, I'm gonna be 100. percent I'm not gonna half-ass. I'm not gonna straddle the fence. So, not only am I their brother, not only am I their coach, teacher, like teacher. Being in this program has taught me how much to value teachers. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Like you're invested. You really have to. So I, I go in there and I'm look. The kid was shut down first day. I apply pressure, mm. the same transfers of energy that I have with the dogs to be able to understand that that instinctual stuff outside of intellect, the instinct. I'm watching them. All right, what's going on? Let me apply a little more pressure. I'm going to back up. Come forward a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He come, comes forward. Come forward into my space. Yeah, yeah. Then I back up. Come on, let me let me give you. Then I'm going to reward you because you deserve it, young man. I'm going to reward you. Now you, you're happy. I'm more appealing to the palate. Then you come a little bit more. All right, now we need to go through this. And I'm going to apply more obstacles for you to go through. That's the mindset that a dog training program gave me to be able to, all right, let me do this. Bro, you're giving him what you always needed in life. Yeah. Someone to give you. For when that door does open, he's an asset to the community. Right. Right. And so I'm going to court for this young man. Our producer of this podcast has a halfway house that this young man is going to get into. So when he gets out, he can go straight into a pipeline at a university. There we go. And now... He, at this facility, just got his first paycheck he's ever gotten in his entire life. At, inside the facility. And what is his title? Dog trainer. <laughs> That's right. And working right. on the theory, you know, one less criminal, one less crime, one less victim. Yep. So, well, you know, me, that's me, the goal. Let me, let me, before you get know, let me touch on that. Because that was, that was one of the things that, all, that I never thought about when I said it. But it resonates with every class. And I now do it with almost every class is... First thing I do is walk in and say, and from this point on, you're not you're inmates, dog you're dog trainers and dog rescuers. <clears throat> and just animal advocates. Yeah. When 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 you and Lisa called me an animal advocate was it, it it may sound small, but like 
that was revolutionary to, yeah. to my mind. Like, yeah. uh, like I'm an animal advocate. Well, I'm, I'm not, no longer a number two, I'm not a three, lifer. Yeah. I'm not the worst of the worst. I'm not a juvenile offender. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. a, a troublemaker. Like all these names, like I'm an animal advocate. Yeah. Like, and a cold part about it, he walked up to me before the program started, before we moved in there. He was like, he was like, you know, he called me by my name. Hey, Buck. Hey, Swift. I'm like, what's up, man? Yeah, we we still yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh no, back up off me, white boy. You know what I'm saying? Back up off me. You supposed to be over there. Get too comfortable. Yeah, Talk yeah. from across that line, brother, because I don't know you like that. This could blow up somehow. Yeah, yeah. So it was still that iffiness. Like we haven't, we know each, we know of each other, yeah. but we don't know each other yeah. because of racial boundaries, gang yeah. boundaries, you know. Yeah. And uh, he was like, "Can I ask you a question?" I'm like, "What's up?" I said, "Man, I ain't never really had a dog before. I don't know what to do. I don't know what it's gonna be like. I had dogs, you know. I was." Running around with all type of dogs and stuff. And um, and I was like, remember that bird that you had? Because he had a pet bird. Nicki Minaj. That's nice. what he made the dog. I, I was literally walking on the yard and, and, and a bird fell from a nest like in the kitchen. And I and I had like I had it in my cell. I don't know how we got the name Nicki Minaj. Like, Why not? Yeah, you, yeah. just you. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, you know, the same way you treated that bird, treat the dog. But the dog's gonna be way more better. Yeah. Because it's, it's gonna return it to you ASAP. And he was like, all right. You know what I'm saying? And just went for it from there. I remember that. Yeah. That's awesome. But this 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 young man, he he's come a long way. So we go to court and we advocate for him. So once again, the same court that tried me as an adult, I'm going in there to advocate for this young man. What are you gonna do if you had a second chance at life? Like, really, what what would you do? Mm -hmm. So um I haven't put their title, Positive Change Trainer. He has his name. I can't put that on here. And he says, what I get from this program is to always stay patient and never give up on the team. Also, be committed to whatever you're doing. And you can do whatever you want as long as you put your mind to it. Another thing I got was to be a leader at all times and um, whatever you do. What my dog got from this is to be strong. And there's always someone here for you. Always just like me. Be a leader at all times. These skills can help other people. My name was like not caring for other people, thinking of them because I was the same way at one point. Also, just go all out on whatever it is, and don't forget, you can always learn from people. This is the most shut down kid. He quit the program two times. Some of the letters, man... You know, I think people, people outside have, uh, have typecast you guys as, as, um, like walking around almost always suppressing your violent mindedness, you know, that that's what it is to be somebody who is incarcerated, right? Is that you're always suppressing this, like, and all people have to do is, is read that handwriting. I mean, I've read so many letters from the inside the program structured inside like homework prompts and some of them that are just back and forth between us, you know, and, and uh, that's how you find a person's heart. That's how you see a person's conscience. And, uh, I fall in love every time I read those letters, every time you fall in love with that person, because you get a real, you're seeing their handwriting. It's coming from their yeah. hand, you know, and, and you know, we've written those letters. Like you're sitting at the end of the bunk when it's mm -hmm. nighttime, mm -hmm. when, when, when there's no sound, it's just you. You're yeah. not putting on the mask of 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 who you gotta yeah. be to survive in there. Yeah. It's just you pouring your heart out yeah. onto this paper. Yeah. Like that's like the purest form of communication. It really is. There's nothing like prison correspondence or or, or like responses right. to homework. There's something about it. It's so powerful. And this is probably my my second.
favorite kid in the program. So we have the first young man. So he has the he has the the structure. He has the leadership qualities. So you know, along with pairing him up with you know a white has to go with a black Hispanic, mm-hmm. with, you know the other races. I pair energies. Yeah. So I pair. He may be sensitive, but he may be having more structure. He has the ability to go the extra mile. To whereas he needs to be the one to be the soft one. And I tell him, learn from your brother. Learn from this. This is this is your brother, and it's nobody's individual dog. These are all our dogs. We are a pack. I think what happens with the kids, maybe even even more than some of the adults, is like uh, we're so used to not taking care of ourselves. You know, like we may think we do, but we really don't. The main problem is we don't give a fuck about ourselves. We really think poorly of ourselves. And when you think poorly of yourself, you act poorly. You don't have self-love. You don't have discipline, you know. So when you uh, when you get involved with a dog, you, you have to love this thing. You have to love it. You have to provide structure. You know, all the things we need as recovering addicts, structure, rules, boundaries, discipline, affection, love, exercise, all of those things are what a dog needs. And when you start giving those things to a dog, you start giving it to yourself. So there's this... I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn how to love me by, by loving this dog. And that's what happens. I think with everybody, like fucking everybody has this man in the mirror moment where they kind of give themselves permission to love themselves. Like if you're going to do this successfully, if you're going to train this dog, if you're going to channel all your energy down this leash, this umbilical cord of a leash into this dog, Mm. it better be good. It better not be all the same thoughts and negativity that you're always putting out in your own head when it's just you. So everyone kind of, you're more conscientious. You're more conscious of what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're putting out there. And I think that's the, the real magic in all of it is that when you start to rehabilitate and care for something, well, an, an animal, it, you are by virtue living for something greater than yourself. You're, you are doing spiritual living now just with that because it's no longer about you. It's about this fucking thing that you're with this alive animal that's capable of all these emotions that's with you now 13 hours a day that you have to completely turn your life upside down for. And more often than not, there's self-love learned in there. You know, you learn to fall in love with yourself a little bit through that process. Which is why you, I remember you guys saying like, what you get out of it is what you're going to, was what you put put in. in, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. If you just kind of dick around and love on some dogs and you'll get some stuff out of it, you'll get some stuff out of loving on some dogs and, you know, but, but if you really change your day to day to, um, to be in and around that life, then everything's going to change for you. I mean, people had, including, I think all three of us had radical changes to our, our whole transom, like the whole way I think about myself, how I think about life, you know, change with positive change, all of it, like how I feel about myself, my potential in this world, my ability to be a leader, how loved I feel like something about the, something about the relationship we built that I don't hear. I love you from other people the same way I get it from you guys. I, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't, it feels uncomfortable. Uh, I don't accept it, but there's something about what, what we've all done through this same like rebirth through dogs that I don't know, man, I, 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 um, I hear everything you guys say. I feel everything, you know, there's this real special bond. And I think it all comes, you know, a lot of it is, is based in that, that we all kind of, well, no, the, the, the crazy thing about that, like, like when I tell people like Brian, that's my brother, I tell him Zach is my brother. It's not a business. 
This is my family. This is my brother. Mm-hmm. I'll tell him, you ever see me and Brian getting to it? Don't worry about it. That's me and my brother. Me and my brother can go in the backyard right now. We'll slug it out. And 10 minutes later, we'll be in, the, in, in mom's kitchen eating dinner. Yeah. Me, and, me and Zach, if we get into it, that's my brother. Don't worry about what me and my family got going on. You know I'm what I'm saying? A thousand percent emotionally committed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's and that's the thing right there. Like that's that's he's met my family. Like Ray, yeah. Ray met. You know, he met my family. Like this is this is something different. It's it's something that's is more when your soul is involved. Mm-hmm. When your soul is involved, it's another meaning. It's another definition. When it's just business, it's a cutoff point. No, nah, this yeah. this don't end. This, this it don't this this doesn't sleep. When you eat, sleep, and breathe this continuously every single day, when I tell people, you know, I, I remember talking to you, and you said, you know, me and my wife cry about how you guys are treated in there. You never heard nobody say they cry for me. I don't have people say, we, we, I'm happy that you're in there. I don't heard them say that. I don't have people say, you know, I hope that you don't get out. I don't heard them. But I never heard a person say, you care that much to cry about me? You don't even know me. And that's what yeah, I think what, what we had, and that, that, that all this is a direct result of the positive change program. And I, that's all we were missing in our life. Like we were primed for change. Like we, mm. like we were there, like, you know, we were coming up on that point. We just, for me, and I, and I, and I feel the same was for Deontay. We just need a glimmer of something yeah. like, you know, something when you come in, to. when yeah. you sit with us, when you, when you. Remember when you shared your story, mm-hmm. what, what I said? Mm-hmm. I walked up to you and I said, you just told my story. Mm-hmm. I remember it. I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah. Hey, what, a, what did I tell Zach when I, when I first seen him? So let's, let's go to the, so you have the before the program. Give him a little background of before you got into the program. Cause this, and then how people think it's just, all right, we're going to have this guy going here and we're going to get this program. We're going to do this. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. There was so much, especially at Corcoran, there was so much involved with getting that yard ready. So when you look at the prison, like prison is called the machine. The inmates, we call it the machine. When we work out, machine is in motion. The machine doesn't stop. The train doesn't stop until the whole workout is complete. No water, no nothing. So we look at the whole prison system on a yard. From sunup to sundown, you get up, the bar lock comes down. You hear it, bam, it comes down. You hear the mini 14 cock. You hear him popping off the thing, putting the non-lethal rounds in. The doors on, do, 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 do. The machine's already going all day. Yeah. It's going. It's, 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 you know, Bob Marley, the, the slave driver. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's chugging along. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What you brought in was a derailment to the machine. Yeah. Where Disruptor. You, yeah. You, showed, you showed men that you're not a piece of a machine, you are a human being. Yeah. And um, like just a little bit about to get to this program, I went years. I'm talking about from 2005 all the way to what, 2016 when the program first came. Me and Brian, we had been in the same building. And the building that we were in, we were in a building with basically all the shot callers. Mm-hmm. Big dogs. So, you, you know, snap of a finger, whole yard goes up. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a all the way across the tier, and I was in across. I was in the, in the cell with the big homie. You know, so I was in there with with my guy. You know, and um, they had changed those yards, and right before they had swapped the yards, I went to the hole, and I was on the hole because he seen me go commit an act of violence on one of one of my peoples, and um, it was a long, long thing. It was it was a while. It was to the point that this dude was like, "Please stop," and after that. I felt bad because 
I never want people to see me in an act of rage like that. Like I got the Hulk veins tattooed on me because you know what he said. I don't want I don't, you don't want to see me when I'm mad because it's, it's like a switch that that goes off in me. That's why I hate to I hate to get in a confrontation. I really don't well, want to get in a confrontation. There, yeah. yeah, but it's in prison it does that. So if I have to do this, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make a prime example out of you. Mm-hmm. So everybody else is watching. You, know, you don't want to get in trouble with him. Mm-hmm. And I was in the hole, and all these guys moved over there, and um, I got to the yard, and Miss Weaver had me. Come, she's there. You want to do the dog program? Fucking dog program. What the hell you talking about a dog program? <laughs> and it was already going up around the yard. You know, dudes are like, man, man, we ain't doing no dog. You finna, they finna teach them how to, how to sniff drugs. I'm like, hey, dumbass, if you don't yeah. teach them how to sniff drugs, then they're going to have to give us drugs. So yeah, that, was, that yeah, works yeah, for you, yeah, dummy. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, drugs, so, that's how it dogs. Everywhere. It's a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, in the, I'm in the building, you know, I'm in a, with, with Joker. So I'm in there, and he's like, uh, they got the dog program over there. You want to do it? I go through Miss Weaver's office. Miss Weaver, they got dog program. She's like, you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, I like dogs. And it was at that moment that Joker seen how serious I was, and I was like, I'm gonna go do the dog program, big bro. Hey man, why would you? You want to do that? You got all this. You know what I'm saying? You in here with me. You know, you got all this. And I said, Yeah, we were in the cool building at the time. Yeah, I'm talking about, yeah. <laughs> all the luxuries of prison. Yeah, everything. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about bada boom, bada bing. It's, it's, that's it right there. Like, um, and uh, I said, I didn't move in a cell with you for everything you got. I moved in a cell with you because you're my homeboy. You're my friend. Yeah. I want to go over there because this is, this is my passion. And he said, All right, go over there and lead then. Show, show me something. You know what I'm saying? Make it shake. So I went over there, and um, they came for the interviews. And that's when I met Lisa, and she had a old old white fang. She had yeah. Hershey. Yeah. Hershey's a, a, a three leg dog. Yeah. And I went to reach down to pet him. She's like, ah. I was like, oh. She gave me the correction. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just touched the dog. Yeah, yeah. She's like, do you know that dog? I was like, no. She said, well, why would you reach to put your hand in a dog's face that you don't know? Yeah. Why not ask the owner? And then when I asked her, she said, well, Hershey's kind of iffy. So once she told me that, I'm like, well, Hershey, you sent your ass down there. Yeah, yeah. Take my fingers off. And we went through the whole process. And um, we had to go around for the dudes that that you guys interviewed. We as the inmate population, because nothing happens on the prison yard unless the inmates say so. So we went and uh, we talked, we went, uh, went to this dude, you know, went to these guys, you know, all the shot callers. Mm-hmm. Hey, your, your, your folks finna be in here. Mm-hmm. And in this program... There's no politics. Yeah. And they're like, make sure oh. they bring it. Yeah. So they're like, they're like, hmm. So then they have to go, this dude you chose, no, he's not going. This dude you chose, he's not going. So Brian, Brian was one of the ones that gave the pass. He knows how to handle himself. Mm-hmm. This dude, he's giving the pass. This dude, he's giving the pass. So even though administration sees this, mm-hmm. it still has to go through yep. the MA population. Mm-hmm. And that was why so much respect. And sincerity was brought into it mm. because in this program, without the politics, men are allowed to be men without the imminent threat of something happening to yeah, them yeah, yeah. for making a mistake without having to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. Just learn from them. Mm. We want to be flawless. Even all the way that we walk, the way that we talk, or you know, the body type, the workouts, everything is meticulous. Yeah. And um, stumbled across a roadblock. So you guys are all down to tear. Everybody's they have that section where it's nothing but the dogs. Everything's taped off, and um, it was the day before, three days before the dogs actually came. Police running there, the institutional gang unit, investigative service unit. So they come here. Oh, get down, get down, get down. They open my door up. They drag me out by my ankles. Come on. I'm like what the hell? You're going to the shoe. 
what am I going to the shoe for? You'll find out when you get back there. I remember that. So I'm chugga chugging in my underwear and my uh, my shower shoes, and I get back there, and it was just punched me in the gut. They said, "Yeah, you're back here for conspiracy to attempted murder on a correctional officer." Some great American hero went and wrote up a whole page and a half summary, dipped it in the mailbox that got from the mailbox all the way to the warden's office. Yeah. And they said, keep him back there. Now, they can keep you back there for six months to a year. Great American yes, hero. Yes, great American hero. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm sitting back there and I'm like, damn, like I was, like I'm in the dog, I'm finna do the dog program. Yeah. Like what is, yeah. so I went through the 602 process. And yeah, more, they should explain that because if you get any sort of write up, you can't. Yes, it's yeah. over. Yeah. So that impacted us because we already, like, okay, like we circled up. Like, yeah. th this is all cultural backgrounds, every kind of affiliation. Yeah. We said, we're going to do this. Like, we made a commitment to each other. So, what happened with him, it, it rippled through the program. Yeah. Like, we felt it. Mm -hmm. like, you know, we were, advocating for, we were advocating for him out there because it was a bunch of bullshit. Like, it, yeah. it was untrue. It just, sure. it, 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 right. Yeah. And then I'm out there, so you're back there in a the shoe. So I'm, I'm back in the dog cage. So I tell people, you don't understand how I, me and the dog relate a whole lot yeah. different. Yeah. I know what it's like to be in that cage, pacing back and forth. Totally. Being on that chain and being walked on that chain out there because they have certain chains yeah. where they don't want you to touch them. So they put a bar on you. It's a long bar, and it's connected to the, to the, to the thing. Yeah. So they're just scooting you around. Here, little doggy, going inside yeah. here. There you go. Be a yeah. good boy for the next three hours. We'll come and put yeah. you back in. And um, I see Miss Weaver. And I'm in the cage. Miss Weaver, I'm yelling. What's going on? I thought she left. About an hour later, Miss Weaver walks into the building, walks up to the cell. Hey, tomorrow you're leaving. What do you mean? I know you didn't do it. She said, but uh, you want to go do the dog program? I said, yeah. She said, I'm going to put you back out there. Don't mess up. Don't make me look bad. Next day, going to the dog program. A week later, when I met everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, so Whew, I'm glad you made it in, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you had somebody pulling for you on that side, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, I want to, I remember the first um, time you, the first dog, you know, at the point that I met you, I had been incarcerated. I was like on my 25th year at yeah. that point. And I remember this might've been a, a month or so before that, you know, I was coming in off the yard and there was a sign on the wall, positive change, you know, dog training. And I'm at a place in my life where I'm, I'm open. Like I, I'm, I'm somewhat I'm, newly sober. Like, yeah. Just yeah. Living, like living in my change. I'm adopting new ideas. Like yeah. I'm trying to discard old beliefs. So I signed up, you know, knowing like there's no chance that they're going to bring dogs into prison like yeah. i've been in prison 25 years the only dog i ever saw was like a drug sniffing dog or something like that yeah and it was about a month later i remember you came walking along like the front of the program through that fence area with that pit bull and it was just crazy you see zach walking and it's they're really specific on 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 this yard like you know certain sections like you just plain don't go right. just nonchalant he's walking. <laughs> cool as a cucumber yeah cool as a, yeah it's the other side of the pillow he's walking with this pit bull yeah. so i'm working i, I want to cross paths with you and i remember i came up you say what's up man my name is zach you know i said my name is brian and you know he said i said i signed up for the program he said man i really hope you're in there and i said hey do you mind if i pet this dog you know, and I remember like, you know, I, I, I've shared this a million times, like getting down there on the grass and petting that dog. Like yeah. it was a spiritual experience. Yeah. Like, and, and I remember the dog had a, a gash on his head. I said, what yeah. happened to his head? He says, well, um, his former owner hit him on top of the head yeah, with a hammer. Yeah. 
yeah. With the hammer. Yeah, that was Kira. Yeah. Kira. Yeah. Kira, yeah. But just in that moment, like, you know. <laughs> in all the names, Kira, yeah. Avery, Trooper, yeah. Shell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the babies. Yeah. But just, like, I always identify that as, like, the first, the beginning, the embryonic stages of, like, yeah. healing in yeah, my yeah. life. Totally. Like, that was such a huge moment. You know, it seems yeah. small. Like you, you bend down to pet a dog. Like I wrote about 20 letters and made hundreds of phone calls to let people know, like, I just pet a dog earlier, Yeah. you know, yeah. met this dude named Zach. And that, that part of what you just described is one of my favorite things to do is when we're going to new prisons oh. and I get to bring dogs or, or even just going to other yards at prisons that we're at, because I'm not beholden to the politics that you guys have to adhere to. And by the way, either are yeah. we, if I'm holding a leash with a dog, I can go anywhere in that yeah, yard. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Everybody point to wants bring up. Yeah. the dogs. I'm that's a good point to bring up. That's, Places that are unheard yeah. of for me Man. to walk, yeah. areas that are unheard of. If when I have my dog on a leash, I can yeah. walk in there yeah. and they'll come, you mind if I pet your dog? Absolutely. Yeah. And now we're engaging in a conversation about the dog they totally. had as a child. Now I'm making new yeah. friends. Think about just how different that is. The littlest things that people take for granted. And and keep in mind also, we're trying to prepare you for life on the outside. How do you prepare people for life on the outside by keeping them racially segregated for decades? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Look, look here, man. I, I remember when I had Griffin. True story. It it look, I'm sitting there. And I'm walking Griffey. Mm -hmm. Everybody loved Griffey. Remember Griffey? Yeah. That had a little yeah, black yeah. lab pit mix. I had a yeah. little puppy. Griffey was like the ultimate athlete. He's jumping over tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. He's, so I'm, I'm walking. He, and on prison yard, you have to go clockwise. You never go counterclockwise. That's seen as a security breach. Mm. He's like, he must be up to something. He's going rogue. Yeah, yeah. So sure. we're walking. And I'm walking uh, I'm walking a little Griffey. You know, I'm doing my thing. And uh, the whites come over to me. Not only the whites, but the leader of the whites and I'm, I'm belling. I'm like, man, what the hell this dude? He's like, hey, come here, brother. I'm like, what the fuck? Brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. brother. Big ass dude. Hey, big brother. Fuck you need, brother. <laughs> hey, brother. All right, brother. Yeah, it. He's like, like Hulk Hogan. Uh, big dude, swastika on the forehead, helped it cross the whole, you know what I'm saying? Made by blood, written to the whole. Yeah. He is the epitome of, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. like, you might as well be that, you know? <laughs> Damn. So he walks up. He's like, man. I thought I would die before I seen a dog. It just did almost 30 years in the shoe. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, well, take him. And he takes him. And you see all these big dudes. Just he's, return just, to a kid. Yeah, just he's become a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just become a kid. Yeah. They're like, and know, with that, all everything's possible, too. Right? Like in that moment where you're getting to love, anything's possible. And then it's, it's, it, it, it was story after story. Like, Andre Moore, who's still in there right now. Mr. 2000. 2001. Yeah. Dre, he would make specific foods for the dogs. He would go and study certain things to yeah. feed them. Like, all right, this, he was like the nurse for the dogs. Yeah, yeah. You know, then you had Lamson. Lamson was like, teach the dog the tricks type of dog guy yeah. right there. Right, these guys want to do this trick, do that trick. And um, I remember one day, Dreamer. Dreamer was the oldest in the program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Martinez. Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Been in prison since he was 14, did 30 years. And he was getting ready to go to the parole board. And everybody, when they get stressed or they have stuff going on, they always go to the gate where the dogs are at. Or they try to, man, I had a bad visit. I'm going to go over here with the dog. Or I had yeah. a bad day at work. And I remember he was getting ready to go to the parole board. And this goes to show how much the program is needed. How much is needed. Not want. A want is a desire. Yeah. A need yeah. is something. A 100%. need. 100%. Yeah. And he went to the parole board and I seen him before he went. I'm like, hey, yo, Dreamer, like, 
You don't got your, your, your fresh clothes on. You, you don't have the, the book and all that to go to the parole board. The, the preparation. He's like, I'm going to be back. Like he got his yard clothes on. Like he was just working out. And he left. He went to the parole board. He was gone for about three hours. Then he came back. Didn't go to the building. Didn't do anything. I said, like, hey, Dreamer, what did they say to you at the parole board? He said, oh, they shot me down. But he said, it's okay. He went down there by the gate. He grabbed the dog. Yeah. He just pet the dog. Yeah. yeah. He's, just, he's just petting the dog. And I'm like, what? You know what? Yeah. yeah. You know, he, it's sad to say, everybody's not going to make it out. But at least get him the comfort. Yeah. 100%. Of, of what an everyday human being human gets to have. Human being. What a human, the, the bare essentials for human living, you know? Just to provide a little bit. That's, that's the thing that... I'm so surprised that we get resistance that we do because that's it. Just that little bit of love, that's, that, that's that all he little wanted. bit of an outlet, you know. It's, got the hmm. man he outlived his entire family, so he has no family. Yeah. And how are you supposed to grow as a person if you don't have that 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 base little bit of validation, that little bit of love, that little bit of belief, unconditional that little bit of hope. love? Yeah. Un yeah, in an environment where you're you're bred in like this stuff starts before we get to prison. You know what I'm saying? This, yeah. The institutional mind state starts before. It's it's already indoctrinated as a kid. Don't, don't trust white people. Don't go talk to psychologists. Mm -hmm. Don't go talk to these people at this schoolhouse. Don't go take any type of medications. This is not what we do. This is within our culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you go into the, the school system. School system, no education. Then you go into juvenile hall. You graduate there. You go to YA. You graduate from YA. You go to prison. Within this, you say you trust nobody because everybody has told you those lies. Everybody has broken a trust. Mm -hmm. When they talk about, oh, go to therapy, who do you see before you go to the parole board? A psychologist. And they do a four-hour just grill, 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 asking you the most weirdest, craziest shit on earth. And they determine whether you go home or not. So why would I trust the person yeah. who for the past 30 years has got me denied parole, but I can go with this dog? Yeah. I hope people understand how easy it is for us to bring in dogs to make that available you know, to turn a prison yard or a pod into an animal shelter is extremely easy. The prisons are made to keep people in. Dog shelters are made to keep dogs in. All we got to do is basically, you know how it is, we, we just put in a few kennels and we make it work. We'll create a little alcove possibly for where we, you know, the dog yard and voila, you have a dog program yard. And for virtually nothing, you can bring individuals who desperately need it access to love opportunity hope and humanization conversely if you don't bring a dog program in or don't bring other programs in you literally incubate people neck deep in negativity for decades and then unleash them on and the in the process you know you get close to emptying out overcrowded shelters across the country like exactly. when you have i want to share um 100 like i've shared this before but like with the program it came to me at a point when um I began wanting to change in 2011 when my, when my grandmother had died. Um, at this time I was in solitary confinement. I got out, I did nine years in solitary confinement. I, I was ultimately released on the Corcoran, the general population yard in 2016. This is when I'm full of hope and, and wanting to change, wanting to do that, which is why I signed up for the program. So when, like when these dogs come onto this yard and it, I didn't realize it till actually the commissioner in the parole board identified it for me i had never received i'm living my life for my my grandma i'm, I'm trying to honor my grandmother the yeah. way she raised me at that time and i had never in my life 
received an unconditional love like I did from my dog Flynn. Yeah. Now, what that does to a person, like, my, like my that's why my level of gratitude and why I like I'm constantly like trying to champion and advocate for this program. My story is not yeah. unique. There's a there's I, my story is unique. There's so many people that are still in there yeah. that are you know just as prepared for society yeah. as I am, like directly because of that program. Yeah, the, the, that's the building block. The first building block is you have to have some modicum of like. You have to be able to feel love for yourself and love for something else. And if that's why it's such a critical building block. You have that, then all things are possible from there. Yeah. And for someone like me with zero self-esteem who, you know, looked at myself as a piece of garbage. Mm. I, that's why I can completely identify when you say like when these dogs look at you, they're ready for the day. Mm. Like they, they, they see the very best in you. And on top of it, after you know, my family served this entire sense with me, minus being in the cell. Mm -hmm. Like they've been to every visit room. So for me to spend these 14 weeks with the dog and train it and, and send my dog home, my, you know, my mom adopted Flynn, which was my dog. So to send a piece of me home to totally. my family. So like invaluable. What you do for them, like what you do for my family, yeah. it, 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 it's unbelievable. Totally. Yeah. He and did, it, Zach did what 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 I'm doing to kids now. So remember when we used to have we had the the what is that uh, the the head of CDCR come in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember. So they had all yeah. these people come in. What does Zach do? Dante, speak. I don't want to speak. Dante, look, man, I don't want to talk to these people. I do not like the police. You understand that, mm -hmm. right? I don't like anything CDCR, and you got me over here speak to the suits. And he was purposely pressure. <clears throat> pressure you can do it and it was that that little push that that people need sometime i'm comfortable not talking i ain't tripping i'll sit over here he made me feel uncomfortable and got over that 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 threshold of stress and onto the next stage in life which is the genius of the program because you know you don't get the dog to the third week somebody yeah. like how come they're not bringing dogs yeah, yeah. all the while you guys are watching us okay he's a he's a quiet low energy day. we're gonna pair him up with yeah, this totally. rambunctious dog mm -hmm. and this guy over here like like opposites, yep. you know. Yeah, the way Lisa and Leah they were they were professional. Listen yeah. here, Leah Marquez, mm -hmm. bad mama jamma. Yeah. <laughs> I love me some Leah. Love me some Lisa. So, like born natural Leah. trainers and leaders. Leaders. Hundred percent. Eight. A what Leah what a hundred and twenty twenty three twenty four. I ain't gonna put a five on her. I'm gonna give her extra weight that she needs <laughs> to come into yeah. a prison. Prison alone. Level four prison. Yeah. And to train and to have the, to be able to catch the attention of men. Yeah. And to be like, this, this, this. She wasn't, she not soft. You know what I'm saying? No. And that's not what they need. You need yeah. to look, let me give you this, 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 yeah. this. You mess up. Don't do that. But do it like this. She let me be soft. That was the other wonderful thing is, is they got to be hard. They got to be the feminine energy, but they were the. They were the yeah. alphas of the group. Clearly in charge. You know? And that's that intensity. Yeah. Like, and go, I got to be loving. I got to go in and talk about my story and hug on everybody and dap everybody up. And, um, and yeah, I mean, having them be able, I don't want to say like good cop, bad cop, but be able to have those different energies. Because you had to keep, we're still dealing with, a, you know, a large group of people that have to be pointed in the same direction. Right. So we had to have, and, and they were just perfect at that, you know. And, and that's a, that's my, my favorite thing about positive change is that the whole energy of all of it is contrary to all of the energy that's being cultivated in there. Is that we get to bring in 
just straight up love and brightness. And, and I get to be as loving as I need to be with you guys. Like I know it's, I mean, it's still very frowned upon and I get shit for it all the time, but I get to go in there and just be love. You know, I get to go in there and look people in the eye, tell them I love them, tell them I believe in them, tell them I'm proud of them. I get to bring dogs in. I get to do laps around the yard and go visit pods that have nothing to do with the dogs. And, And you you know, know, Zach, I'm glad that we got a a platform to be able to speak like this openly. And I'll say this. If you can't put on your shoes to get up and do what Zach Skull has done, don't sit around talking bad about him. Don't don't make him no talking point or none of that type of stuff. Because if you haven't did it, you ain't walked that walk in, walk into that prison. You ain't took your dog and gave it to somebody that's in prison and trusted them with him for 16 weeks. You're not showing up to the courts yeah. like 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 John Flores did. You're not signing off making a certified trainers yeah. like Lisa Porter and Leah Marquez have did. You ain't doing that like Ty. Ty mm. Frias has came in there and did it. Please, please don't cast judgment on this man because he's doing yeah. He's Superman, and not every Superman wears a cape. Yeah, man, he is for sure. 100%. And that's the, and that's the secret sauce of the program as well. Are the relationships that are built totally the personal ones? Totally, I, like it's everything. We were in the building for what, maybe a couple of years together on that yard. Never talked. Never talked. Walked by him a million times. Gave the universal head nod. Yeah, you know, yeah. not not that we had a problem with each other, but there sure. was no reason is, is what it to is. talk. Yeah. You know, he's from a different car, different ethnicity, the whole nine. Yeah. And in that kind of environment, there's no reason for us to talk. But who would have known? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Like, yeah, dude, it would not totally. be possible. Yeah. Man, you we know, had karaoke night one time. Before me. We had karaoke at night one time. I oh, swear, we, we, when I'm I was singing, us, I'm like, it's like Gillian Wallow. <laughs> <Some reason. laughs> Man, he got Sheldon in his shell. And he's in there. I hear the music playing. I hear that Justin Bieber. My mama don't like you. She likes everyone. And so we we down there vibe because we have our, all the guys. We go yeah. out there and chill. And it's yeah. just all the different cultures. Like I yeah. haven't tasted Asian food till I went to Lamson Cell. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my 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 partner that I had before Brian in the first round. He said I never talked to black people till yeah. I. But imagine how that better prepares you for life it, on the outside. It was beautiful. You know? Yeah. He's in the cell singing. And we out there chilling. That's when I was like, man, this brother got he got a little chocolate in him because he, you know, <laughs> first he could play basketball, then yeah. he got to sing a Tupac and Mozzie and all yeah. that. Yeah. And the door must have slid open. Man, this fool must have came out of here. He had took the lamp, made a headband, you know, the little, little flexi lamps. Yeah. He had it hooked up to his face with the light on, and he was doing karaoke. <laughs> Bieber. I do the Bieber, you know, he's the, the, the mic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's these moments that. <laughs> You get to share, and it's like, and I've never had that. Yeah. Like you've never had these, these moments of just like calm and peace. Yeah. Like my, like you're just always your entire like life that. is there. You're in fight or flight I mean, mode. You're in survival mode. Like how is it relax. that our our society, our culture, can look at the way prison is set up naturally? How is it that any rational person can look at the, the entire spectrum of incarceration and go? No, yeah, that's what we're looking for. We're, that's what we're. That's exactly what we're looking for: is to keep them locked in a concrete, inorganic, dark as fuck place where we're just basically guaranteed to make them worse the human beings, and then kick them out into society. How is it that we can look at that as though it's well structured, or as though it's it's something near what we need it to be? You know, even just the racial component. Most people, when I bring that up, they go, uh, "What do you mean?" Uh, you know, I'll talk about you guys or something, and they'll be like, what do you mean uh, they couldn't talk? I was like, well, racially. Go, well, what do you mean? When I explain that it's like rigidly racially segregated, they go, like, now? Like, like today? I was like, yes. And, and people have no idea. Yeah. 
Not because we don't want to. No, it just it, is. It just is what it is. This. Yeah. Like we came in and it just. The prison system in California is as rigidly segregated as Jim Crow South ever was. Until you, you know? the bring machine, seven dogs yeah. in. Yeah, the yeah. machine has been in motion. Yeah. And yeah. Zach came in and threw yeah. a monkey wrench in the machine and it backfired. But we got to keep throwing monkey wrenches oh, yeah. in there. We got to keep talking about it and keep really let, letting people know about it out there. Because if people really do you know, care about crime, then you care about why people go out and commit crimes. They go out and commit crimes because they don't have access to hope, opportunity, or rehabilitation. If you take an, a legitimate effort to rehabilitate people and provide them with fucking love and hope and belief, just to believe in somebody. Like why we all bonded is... I believed in you guys, but you guys believed in me. And that's why we have this 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 energy. And then we need a whole lot more of that instead of what we have currently, which is uh, you're not good enough. You're never going to be anything. This is what you are. You know, deal with it. And, and, and it's, not, it's not one of those things that people are like, oh, man, they, they all go to Zach. They all go to Zach. Zach, this, 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 this. Nah. I call Zach. Like, what's going on? I'm good. Nah, nah. What's going on up top? How you feeling up top? You know, I genuinely want to know, like, where your brain at? You know, where, where's your mental health at? Because mm-hmm. you take on everybody's story. You take on everybody's battle. You take on all these battles. You know, is in rescue work, oh, it's nasty. Oh, it is so nasty. Mm. The, the, one of the toughest parts for rescue and for working to advocate for, for the incarcerated and the formerly incarcerated is you guys can't talk and the dogs can't talk. You know, I, you're not hosting podcasts in prison, so... By default, I got to be the one articulating, like on behalf of you guys and on behalf of the dogs. And I'm scared shitless. I, this was not some. I've never been comfortable speaking publicly, like being outward. I got better at it over years, but it's very uncomfortable putting myself out there. And people really do. They take they take profound shots at you, you know. And I've this hasn't brought me money. This hasn't brought me anything in life but a purpose. You know, and uh, it's really, really hard to do. And people don't understand that you got to put yourself out there. If you care about it, if you love about it, if it's your purpose, you got to get out there and speak on it. And it's really uncomfortable because I don't want to do anybody wrong. I don't want to like say the wrong thing. I don't want to misrepresent things. I'm trying to speak from, from what I know my experiences are, but it's sometimes I get nervous being out here kind of representing on behalf of, of, you know, in a world where everything is so squeaky clean, you know what I'm saying? Like you... I purposely, like for Instagram, for instance, I purposely make myself vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I purposely do it. Because everybody's so used to seeing all this perfect, perfect, perfect perfection. Yeah. yeah. And you're teaching them how to be perfect. Yeah. You know, but even a Persian rug is made with a flaw. Because mm-hmm. perfection is only provided by God, if you want to look That's at right. it from that aspect. So you can't portray perfection in a world of complete flaws. People need to see you're going to make mistakes. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to do something in his life. They need to see that so they can feel it. So they can say, all right, he's been through it. You know, they've been through it. They, them as a collective been through it. You got Hispanic, white, all this. They, we all been through it. And we standing right here to say, look, bro, we got yeah. your back. Tell the dog, come on. Yeah. The, the, the situation we had, we're, Building 5 was where the dog program was at. There was a, a, there was a racial, like a melee like a 20 on 20. Mm-hmm. And we heard about it in, in, in our building. And the entire yard is closed down. We're in the dog program, so we come up regardless because mm-hmm. we have animals to care for. And I remember quickly, we all came together and said, look, we don't know what happened over remember there. Remember that. We don't know what happened. 
this is our positive change family right here. Um, they've, they've trusted us. And accountability was not even something in my vocabulary, like responsibility, <laughs> but it just, like, I didn't fully understand um, like those concepts yet, but we just knew what felt right. As, yeah. And we came to get, remember that? Yeah. And we said, we're not going to do nothing. Cause when the doors open, we had a hundred people and all the sales watching. Like we were, dudes we were, were going to slaughter it, like, each other yeah, right to now. To see what would happen. Like yeah. they put it, and we refused. They put us on the spot. They're like, give them enough room to hang themselves. Yeah. Right. Open up all the right. doors first and see what they do. Right. So it was like, and they were when all they, standing there, pepper sprayed. They had the guns ready, ready. to go. We walked yeah. out, gave each other hugs. <laughs> we all sat down together. This is this is the worst, the worst oh, yard, man. I because wish. we we cared so much about what we were doing. Like we had a responsibility sure to the dogs and to each other through that whole spot. Okay. And it was such a powerful moment that even like like the underworld, the powers that be in prison, yeah, they didn't. They said, "Wow." Okay. You can't help but All respect right, it. Yeah, yeah. I said, how am I, I really, going to jump? Yeah. Like, this dude is my... I train yeah. a dog with this yeah, guy. Yeah. We work together. Like, who's going to take and care of our dog? Like, how am I going to punch... I, I met your mama. We, we was just out here in the visiting room. Like, Armando. I went out there and called uh, Armando Ortiz. Yeah. Alumni. I went out there and called Armando. I went in there and said, I said, hey, Mama Weasel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. said, what? Did you just call me a weasel? <laughs> I, said, I didn't raise my son to be no weasel. His name is Armando. Give him a new name. Him a, now get over here and eat some of this food. Yeah. Uh, and I'm yeah. like, all right, mom, it's cool. I'm going to sit down and eat this food. Even when it was tension on the yard yeah. and people wanted to go act out in violence, you know what they would do? Hey, you know, prison is going to be prison. Hey, can you, can you put the dogs up? Can you take the kids inside? Because we don't want them to see this. Yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. want to upset the dogs. Yeah. We don't want them to get riled up. And you're like... Wow. Like yeah. It's, yeah, the violence like dramatically yeah. decreased it's on not, that yard. I mean the 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 racial the, the racial component is affected, the sobriety component is affected, the you can talk to, to correctional officers and, and not be suspect about it. You can talk to one another without it being suspect. But you provide the dogs provide this scaffolding for growth in every possible way, in every possible avenue of life, from sobriety to working on yourself to to um, to redirecting your to redirecting the trajectory of your life. It all changes with the dogs, and it never you know? ends. It continues exactly, and it day. can go on forever. And yeah. that's what people need to know about the dog program. It, it yeah. isn't just people. It isn't just guys petting dogs. It is you bring that in, and there is growth in every aspect of where you want growth. And if you keep it there, I mean, imagine if we would still have that program going at Corcoran right now, man. Uh, We'd be rehabilitating the worst of the worst. It'd probably be like a, a seminal yard. They'd be writing stories. About about it and, and, and trying to create other yards off of that. And that's what I want people to know is there's no reason why we can't have this in every prison. Is there a lot of resistance? Do you get a lot of resistance to bringing the program into prison? No, it's just not anymore. Not Well, one, since we operated out with you guys, people are like, oh shit, they can do it anywhere. If they, oh, can, do it at, if they can do it at Corcoran, if they can do it at that spot at Corcoran, then they can do it anywhere. And we did two rounds, by the way. Mm -hmm. you I know. told Zach when I first, I want the worst of the worst. Yeah. He yeah. said, bring me the worst. I want the worst of the worst. And yeah. watch, watch what we do with it. And that's what we were able to do at Cal City, at North Kern, at these places that were open for six, seven years, is they got really, really, really good. You know, we've had guys that have been in for 11 rounds in a row, yeah. you know, and they're they're just incredible dog trainers. And it's so, I mean, the real model of it, if we really look at what's going wrong with the, the animal sheltering system is fucked. The animal sheltering system is completely broken. Right now, 
large dogs are the first ones euthanized large young dogs because they take up space they're reactive they don't they're not good on leashes they're like all of us right is is they they don't have what it takes to be adopted and if they do get adopted they come back so those are the ones that are euthanized so we're spending all of this money to catch large dogs to bring them into the shelter to pay people to take care of them to shelter them there to feed them and then we put them to death right and then similarly we got this entire population of individuals that desperately need rehabilitation all the things we talked about you know exercise boundaries discipline affection you know all those things so the humans need the same things that the dog needs and if we had that type if, if you can take that broken prison system and that broken shelter system and combine the two and you will cancel out an enormous amount of expenses so yeah. you will eliminate billions of dollars in expenses because one is now scratching the back of the other and vice versa. But right now we're, we're euthanizing tens of thousands of large juvenile dogs just in California, you know, and the only hope for dogs like that is through training. They're not going to have any hopeful outcome unless they get trained. Can you shine a light on, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the bully guy. I'm, yeah. I love the pit bulls. Yeah. You said something one day. You said a pit bull has a certain percentage chance of being euthanized, mm -hmm. and then a black dog has a certain yeah. percentage. Now, a black pit bull has yeah. what are the likelihood? It's fifty percent each time. So pit bulls are fifty percent less likely to be adopted than just other dogs, breed. just off breed, and then black dogs fifty percent less likely than that. So, so they, black, they pit black pit bulls are virtually unadoptable. Yeah. Hey, remember we did this one time. Uh, there was a guy that says, I don't want to go nowhere near dogs. I had a bad experience. I'm scared of them. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was you. We said, we said, let's try an experiment with this. We had a little dog right there. He went in the cell. We put the pitch black. We made a pitch black. He was sitting in there. We said, I'm going to send him in. We send a pity in. I don't know. Remember if it was oh, Gemma was, or something. Was, was, uh, and he's petting the dog and it's pitch black. He's petting the dog. And, we, and he's loving the dog. We flipped the light on and it's the pit bull. Yeah. You know, but this whole time he's thinking it's yeah, the little yeah. dog. Yeah, like, we had said that. His perception. What a brilliant experiment. We came yeah. with the cons. Because yeah. I, I used to go on some crazy little just, I used to be up all night, had a hard time sleeping. So I used to be yeah. up and man, this, 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 this. I remember one time I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question, bro. It was like six in the morning. He was getting ready to go to work. I'm like, come here, come here. He's like, man, what do you want? He's still sleepy. Yeah. I was like, when you turn the light on, what leaves first? The darkness or does the light come in? Yeah, this is what I, yeah. <laughs> It's been the story of, of our of my life with him. He was like, yeah. what come, what leaves and what comes? I'll get back to you on that. Exactly. So he thought about it. So I was like, when people judge a dog or they judge a breed, I was like, well, you take a dog and was talking to John. I was like, take a dog. Grab a dog, put him in there. Turn the light off. Doesn't know. All he knows is there is a dog. Hmm. And that dog is loving on you. Licking all on you and all this type of stuff. No therapy in the world like yeah. a puppy licking Nothing. your face. Like no on. rehabilitation. He sees the dog. It's no longer, oh, pit bull. No, it's a, yeah. oh, it's Gemma. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the big, that's, I love that dog so damn much. Uh, uh, Gemma's a special. I'm talking about, she was just. So let me, let me, let me wrap up the, the like, because what I, what I've been thinking about lately since we had dinner the other night is, is the Good potential of. Dinner uh, with eight. Formerly, yeah, over, positive change alumni. Over 130 years combined in incarceration yeah. at one table. Yeah, and still young, handsome men, you know? Thank you. I mean, so I keep thinking about the, the 90 to $100 billion prison industry, the, the, the $30 billion animal sheltering industry, and, and that both of them are completely broken, right? 75% recidivism. I mean, you couldn't be more broken than that. If 75% if of the people that you take care of end up backfiring and ending up back in here, what, you know, why, why are we not completely obliterating the model that you currently use? And what we already talked about is that 
I mean, we could have dog programs on every single yard to just bring in a dog program probably costs three grand to convert an entire for that's 10 dogs every 14 weeks that we could just turn over nonstop. We could fix, we could make, we could fix the animal sheltering problem in America. If we combine these two entities, we would bring America to no kill less than 10% euthanasia of healthy dogs. If we merge the two, we could cut recidivism probably by 33% just by the, the jobs provided through the pet industry. What the incarcerated have needed forever is a robust economy. That's willing to accept them in at, for who they are, right? To believe in them, to understand their worth, and they've talked about it with, I mean, you can't have two and a half million short order cooks. You know, you got to have a legit economy like the, the, they've talked about the oil and gas industry being receptive, which they really weren't. They talked about renewables being receptive, which they, they kind of really weren't. There's all these different economies that have talked about bringing in the incarcerated, right? And then we got the pet industry. The pet industry increased by 25% during COVID. It's a hundred billion dollar industry. It's three times. We know how many brothers want to, you know, are inside that want to be involved in the music industry when they got out. There's it's three times bigger than the entire music industry combined, touring all of it. And the potential within that pet industry is is enormous. It's it's those guys like yourself who understand what it's like to be advocating for yourself in prison, hustling for yourself in prison, prior to prison when you're out on the streets. That translates to dog training seamlessly. And then what happens when when that occurs is access to the middle class is formerly incarcerated individuals in an economy that they can survive in, that they can thrive in, and that they can access the middle class through. You know what I mean? So. If we expand positive change and if we get it to where it needs to be, we can completely change the system of incarceration as we know it today. We can change the face of the pet industry as we know it today. And we can so not only account for all of this, this um, opportunity in the industry, but all of the growth that comes with the dog program. You know what I mean? And that's the magic of it all. And we just really need someone or a lot of someone's to understand that that's the value and, and to, to give us what we need to get there because it's pennies on the dollar. When we're talking about the amount of money that's spent on incarcerating people, you know, it's uh, it's pennies on the dollar. The, 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 the return on investment for the dog program is an ROI ratio that like nothing has that good of a ratio for the few dollars that it costs to run this program. You're changing fundamentally the lives of real human beings who have real family members, real kids, real parents. You're breaking the cycle for them. You know, you're also a lot of the communities that we struggle to bring up in terms of animal sheltering in the rescue community, our communities where you guys are from. Right. How the fuck are we going to infiltrate those communities, change those communities, get them culturally brought up to speed if we don't have people like them educating in those communities? It's got to be a, you know, it's got to be a FUBU model where it's people that are from that environment that are going back in and helping educate, you know? And I'm telling you, we could change, we already are changing the world, but we could change the world in an absolutely profound way by getting this program into as many prisons as possible and having you guys be the ones that are, that are the face of it. Because it, unless we socioculturally alter how people feel about you guys and, and really have them understand who you are, we're not going to make any progress. They're always going to, they're always going to, uh, compartmentalize you guys over here. You're always just going to be fucking murderers and convicts and all, all the rest of those statements. But 
when you guys get out there and show people who you are, you see people's gears turning. And what I'm really proud of is like how many people we've converted to understand your, your, your potential and to get to see you guys for like what I get to see you guys as, you know, and, and we just got to keep getting out there and keep do, keep doing these podcasts and keep it talking. Started from, it all started from a man walking on a dog with a yard. Yeah. yeah. Everybody here, the, 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 the clinking and clacking because we got dogs in here. Yeah. yeah. Can't have her studio without having dogs here. Cannoli. I'll see you, boo. Come on. Big girl. She going back to her dad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I could say one last thing, like, uh, just on a personal level, like, I'm, I'm so thankful for you having this idea. Like, you know, um, like, it gave me hope at a time when I needed it, um, which, like, rippled into my family. Like, I, the, the dog that I trained in prison, I still walk every morning today two of them two dogs actually mm -hmm. you know i gained this guy he paroled a year before me wrote me letters we talked we called when i got out he got me a job like just been on so many levels there's so many layers to this there program. is like it, it we need to do like a three-part series on this shit yeah you know we really do we should probably like literally do this in three parts and talk about like segments of our existence and like how it got here you know what i mean Hell yeah and I just, I really hope people understand that, that this dynamic, what we have and what we've been able to, it's unique and it's very special, but it's not something that it's something that can be recreated out there for, for thousands and thousands of more individuals, you know, Fine. who, uh, who find their own on the outside, um, you know, because of a program like this. Before we conclude this, yeah. Zach. Yes, sir. What do you want what do you want to see for yourself, Marley's Mutts, positive change, and for the men inside coming outside? What, what do you feel would serve these individuals in a totality coming back into society? Uh, my goal in this work is to basically make this program ubiquitous. The best way for, I mean, there's two and a half million incarcerated Americans right now and 11 million children directly affected by those can you incarcerated. Repeat, can, repeat two it. and a half million Americans. There's more Americans incarcerated in California than any other country in the world. They're just mind boggling statistics, How you know? Kids? 11 million children are directly affected by incarcerated parents, by the two and a half million incarcerated Americans that there are. So, <clears throat> my dream is to make this ubiquitous is to you can't say the word prison or prison facility without also talking about the dog program there and i'm not talking about puppy programs i'm talking about a program that you dive into spirit first and unpack yourself you know hold on and i'm not saying everyone needs to get involved in the pet industry that's not necessarily feasible but the growth and the productivity and the self-actualization and the self-criticism and the self-esteem that comes with the dog program there's nothing like it and and the integration racially, from, from a gang perspective, from a racial perspective, all of those things. There's nothing like the dog program. Forget the actual job that's waiting for you when you get out if you plug yourself into the program. That's also there. Yeah, I came home you with know? a marketable skill that I yeah. use today. That Exactly. A marketable skill in the fastest growing recession-proof economy on the planet. You know, the, the pet industry was only a $30 billion industry like 
eight years ago. It's it's just every year growing and it's recession proof. It is the only recession proof juggernaut economy that we have in America. And the beautiful thing about it is that it was essentially built on second chances. You know, animal sheltering, rescue, you're you're providing second chances to animals that need it. You know what I'm saying? Just like we provide second chances to animals who need it. Right. <laughs> yeah. so- yeah. I wanna I wanna wind this down. I wanna I wanna exit this with with a lesson that my my brother right here taught us one day, and it was in, in Corcoran, right there in that building. And I um, I walked up to him. I was frustrated, and I said, "Man, you know I love dogs, but I hate humans." And he looked at me, and he checked me like a brother should. He said, "I don't ever want to hear you say that. Humans need each other. Yeah. We need each other before we can get to the dog." Mm-hmm. I needed him before I got my dog. I needed Brian before I got my dog. We had to have an understanding. Everybody's, oh, the animal, the animal, the animal. The animal, when they get around each other, they speak their language. Humans are the only ones that act outside of nature, Mm -hmm. act outside of communicating with each other, Mm -hmm. that act on hatred. We're the only ones that go against the, the grain of what it is supposed to be that we do inside. We go against our will over our ego. Mm -hmm. So let's not associate hatred mm. and associate love because that's love conquers all, no matter what you say. Yeah. Love is gonna it's gonna get it all done. So with with that, before Brian gets to Cahooing and, and, and all that, you better not. <laughs> I can't believe we it. made it through. Like, let's without, go part two and part no, three. Yeah, yeah. Just want to thank my bro. Schedule it. And you know, this is strangest fruit. Did everybody ever want to ask what this is about? What we have going on here? This is what it's about. People loving people, communicating, not all the arguing and, 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 and creating a spectacle of each other. No, this is this is how grown folks talk. You dig what I'm saying? So That's let's right. spread the love and keep it going. And Zach, appreciate it, bro. I love you guys. Love you, bro. Love man. you, Brian. Right, you know what time you. it is, fool. Get up, lazy old Dang. man. I'm over here stuck at the dog. They're gonna make me cry on a fucking prison oh, yeah, podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's his trainer? Let's look at that dog. <laughs>